Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Heavenly Father, we come again with bowed heads and humbled hearts and contrite spirits. Thanking you again, Lord, for another day not promised to us. Lord, I'm asking that you forgive us of our sins and our iniquities and our shortcomings and transgressions. And those things that place a veil between you and us. Lord, I'm grateful for this time I have with my sister, that we get, Lord, to praise your name, Lord, and partake in your word, that you have given us yet another day for fellowship to recognize, Lord, that you are more important than anything else in this world. The relationship and the love uh, affair that we have with you, Lord, is greater than anything else in this world. And I just can't stress that enough, Lord, because... I don't know what's happened to your people. I don't know what the devil is trying to do to your church. But I do know that your word says that there will be times, Lord, when the great apostasy shall come. There is times, Lord, that your word says that there are mockers in the last days who will go after their own lust and will seek their own things. And they separate themselves sensual in having not the spirit. You spoke of all these things, Lord, that men would go after their own lust and have their own desires. Well, Lord, we're just grateful for you that your spirit stays upon us. And I'm asking for all people who couldn't come today, Lord, that you look after them, that you bless them and you show them, Lord, their need for you. As we strengthen our faith with you, Lord, we just ask, Lord, that you just live in us. We ask that you teach us your word today, Lord, that we may all get some great edifying out of it that we may have some food to chew on, that we may have food for thought, that you will not allow us to, Lord, fall asleep in our experience, but that you will see us through to the end, through all types of warnings and admonishments, Lord, through all types of rebuking, reproving, searching us out, Lord, that you may see the iniquity that lies beneath. Lord, for we don't just want to look good. We don't want to just use you. We don't want to just be in your life when we feel like it or when it's convenient for us. But we want a daily walk with you, Lord, to be in the spirit with you, that we may have all understanding of all things and that our light, Lord, may continue to shine because you are that furnace within that keeps us burning hot. I'm asking, Lord, that the oil not go out of our lamps that we will not be of the five wise, of the five foolish virgins, but of the wise. Lord, let us every day rejoice in you, for the joy of our Lord is our strength. And I'm asking, Lord, that you give us boldness, Lord, to continue to go out and win souls. Lord, that you just continue to help us in your word and in your will, for those things are most important. Lord, we just thank you for all that you've done. We thank you for being an awesome God. We thank you for loving us without reason. For, Lord, we have done nothing to be able to gain your love and your grace. But, Lord, we just thank you that even though we have not lived up to what you have called us to, that your patience and your mercy and your grace has stayed upon us, that we may one day be as you call us to be, being full of you, you, Jesus Christ, living in us, that we will disappear, but it will be 
your reflection that you see when you look at us and you tell us, well done, thou good and faithful servant. For you are the King of kings, you are the Lord of lords. You are faithful, just, and true, and worthy of all praises. And in the name of Jesus, Lord, I bind every foul spirit, every demonic spirit, every spirit of error, every spirit of contention, every spirit of confusion, every spirit of jealousy, malice, hatred, every spirit of fear, doubt, and unbelief, every spirit that is anti-Christ, Lord, I'm asking that you push it out of the way. I'm asking that you cast it out. For, Lord, you said, well, there are two or more gathered in your name. There you are in the midst. And, Lord, all we want is to be engulfed in the Holy Ghost. All we want to do is be inflamed in your baptism in the Spirit. Lord, do these things for your glory and do them for your honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so tonight's study is going to be called on one of our unpopular topics. I'm sure a lot of people won't like this, but... Since when did I care what people think? All that matters is what the Lord thinks and what he reveals to me to teach, I will teach. Okay, so tonight's study is going to be called The Lake of Fire, The Second Death. Because I think people need to really have understanding as to what this is. You get a lot of controversy between the lake of fire and, and hell. Um, you get a lot of misunderstanding in terms of paradise and hell. And, you know, when this lake of fire is, who's going, what it's about, blah, blah, blah. Just a whole bunch of things that people really have little understanding on. So tonight, hopefully we get to break those down and uh, really understand what this is. Because a lot of people will hear about the lake of fire and then they'll say, what good God can have something like this set up? But as we're going to read in a minute, that God had nothing to do with man going there. You know, it is man's choice to decide to want to be apart from God. And as scary as the lake of fire seems, you know, we would have to imagine if God is good and everything about him is glorious and wonderful and love, then you'd have to imagine a life outside of him couldn't be any less terrible than a lake of fire. Right. Because if there's if he is good and being with him is good, then to step outside of him is to have pure torment. Pure evil, pure fear. Right. Okay, so this is what we need to understand, and we want to make clear who's going and who's not going. Now, we can't say who's wheat and who's tares and, you know, all that stuff that we've gone over in previous teachings. But one thing we can make clear is, is that, you know, the Bible makes clear of who's going and who's not. And in order for us to be with Jesus and not be a part of this lake of fire, this second death, you know, so you can you can understand here that this is something that goes beyond death, beyond right. physical death. You know, so you can't even escape this with death. The only escape is Jesus Christ and his love and his glory. Yeah. You know, so if we accept him, it will really do us some good. So let's get started with, the, um, I want to go to Matthew 25. Let's go to Matthew 25 and we'll start at verse 31 because I want to make something clear here. And this is why if people truly don't know Jesus, you can misjudge him. So I want to have some clear understanding as to what's what concerning Jesus. Because God is only good. And unless we come to that conclusion, we are truly not born again. So let's go to Matthew 25. We'll start at verse 31. And it says, 
When the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. And before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left. Now remember, we've talked about before about the nature of sheep and goats. You know, sheep are docile creatures. Sheep are, you know, not too bright. But they are innocent, you know, and they just move around and they just do things that the shepherd tells them to do. And if they start to stray, the shepherd will come and guide them back into the flock. But then you have the goats who are stubborn creatures, you know, bullheaded, hardheaded. And if you turn your back, they'll butt you in your behind. That's what that's what goats are. Yeah. Goats are very, very stubborn as opposed to sheep. Verse 33. And, you know, I think it is interesting how the Lord talks about sheep and goats. Because you can say sheep are not too bright. But, you know, I think it's the Lord refers to his people as sheep. Because we have to recognize that sheep are ignorant most times is why they do the things they do. So this ought to tell us that if we know what is right, we will be sheep following the Lord. So if he if he calls his people sheep, then that means that they are innocent as they go while he guides them. Right. They're not knowing of the dangers and deciding to run into them. Where a goat would just to, you know, spite you. Okay, that's so that's the difference between the two. Goats are willfully ignorant. Sheeps are innocent or, or, or ignorant in their innocence. Oh, sorry, what were you going to say? Like a goat would be a transgressor? Yeah. A goat would just do because you said not to. Right. That's the nature of a goat. Okay, so verse 33, a rebel. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left. And remember again, Jesus Christ is on the right hand of the Father. When they went out to win, when they went uh, fishing, Peter and the boys... Jesus said, when they couldn't catch any, cast your net on the right side, which tells us right then and there that the right side is, is Jesus' side. Mm -hmm. All right, so the goats go on the left. 34, then shall the king say unto them on his uh, right hand, come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So you see what the king says to those on his right hand? He's welcoming them. Come on in. Uh -huh. You followed me. For I was in hunger and you gave me meat. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came unto me. So the sheep are those on the right side that deliver the gospel that are doing the will of what the Lord calls them to do. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, uh, when saw we uh, thee and hungered and fed thee, or thirsty and gave thee drink? When, ye, uh, when, saw ye, when saw we thee, a stranger, and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we um, thee sick, or in prison, and came unto thee? And the king answered and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, and as much as ye have done it, you have done it unto one of, of the least of these, my brethren, ye have done unto me. So the Lord is making very clear that 
if we love our neighbor, we truly love the Lord. Mm -hmm. For those that were doing his will and were out there giving and preaching the gospel and taking care of strangers without reason. Because, you know, I like the part how he says you go to the prison, you go to the stranger, you go to those who are thirsty and hungry. These, these people don't sound like friends of yours. They don't sound like relatives. There's no conditional love here. Right. You know, naturally, if you don't know a stranger, then it's almost like, well, he's got nothing connected to you. Okay, there's no reason why you'd want to take care of him other than to love him unconditionally. So all of these terms are met with no condition. It is out of the goodness of the Lord that lives in you that these people are taken care of. Right. But verse 41 is the key. This is why I went here. Then shall he say unto also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. So there's the point right there that we're trying to that I'm trying to bring up tonight is that hell was not prepared for man. Hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. But as we know from previous studies that the devil has children. For all those who are not born again in Christ, they are the devil's child. Okay, when Adam and Eve fell, the devil pretty much owned Adam's sperm bag. All right, so he had the uh, dominion over the earth because man would now be corrupted, full of his seed. So to be born again in Christ is to see things the way that Jesus is see it, sees it, to be new, renewed in the spirit, old things passed away, and to walk and be guided by the spirit of God. Okay, so there's the difference between born again and not born again. But I want to make clear, hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. So from here, let's go to um, Psalm 139, and we'll start at verse 1. But the, the whole point is, is that God doesn't want anybody to go to hell. Okay, people go there on their own will because they refuse to be governed by the Spirit of God, which is righteousness, holiness, and it is broken down to two commandments, loving the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. And in the Luke account, it says, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. On those two commandments, the Bible says, um, hang all of the law and the prophets. Okay, so it all boils down to that. Psalm 139 and verse 1, and it says, O Lord, thou hast searched me and know me. Um, thou knowest my uh, downsitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compasseth my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. So God knows you. He understands why you do the things you do. He understands why you don't do the things that you do. But he is acquainted with all of our ways. So you can't pull a fast one on him. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. So the Lord knows what you're going to say before you even say it. And this is why in many cases when we have the Holy Ghost, his, your conscience will come to you and say to you, don't say it. But we be, you know, I'm going to say these words the way that I feel. That's what a rebel will do. But a believer will take heed to the spirit and say, I know I shouldn't say this, so I won't. Or you'll get caught in mid-conversation sometimes and just say, no, I can't. You know, I can't do it. or I won't say it. Mm -hmm. All right. So we're always being guided by the spirit of God. Verse 6, I think that's where I am. Uh, verse 5, yeah. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thine hand upon me. 
Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thine hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall uh, be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. So this means that God is all-knowing and all-powerful, and he's everywhere. So he's omniscient, he's omnipresent, which means he's everywhere, omniscient, all-knowing, and, um, and um, omnipotent is, um, is uh, all-powerful. So we want to know these things about God, that he is too high that you can't get over him. He's too low that you can't get under him, and he's too wide that you can't get around him. So David is talking about the dominion that Jesus Christ has, or God has, over everything in all of creation. So we may as well play it straight. David is making it clear, everything he knows about you, he knows the beginning from the end, there is no way around him. Even in darkness, in the presence of God, he's saying, the light and the day shine the same. So there is no covering up. Verse 13. For thou hast possessed my reins. Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works and that my soul knoweth right well. You know, fearfully and wonderfully made. We've gone over this before. We are a work of art. I don't care what evolution and all these lying scientists and people say. God has made a treasure in us. And one that is truly born again of the Spirit can really tell you how wonderfully we are made. Fearfully made, yes, even though we're a beautiful creation, we can do such evil. So when you're fearfully made, you've got the potential to be wicked and be just like the devil without God. But to be wonderfully made is to have the Lord in your life that you will be, you will reach your full capacity in His glory. All right, so... Uh, verse 15, my substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, and in my book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned when as they, as yet there was none of them. So David is saying, even when I was dust, even when you formed me, in the lowest parts of the earth or wherever the Lord, you know, makes man and breathes life into him, that we were just unperfect, but he could read in our substance that all of our, the members of our books, um, the, the book of our members were written. So he's talking DNA here. The Bible is even talking about how glorious it was that he had written already in our genetic code that before we were formed, which is that word that knew my substance, unperfect, that word is golem in Hebrew, which means like a glob, you know, or or a, a man-made figure with no life. So we have to understand that God knew exactly what you would look like, what your teeth would look like, what your feet would look like. He already put that in your genetic code, in your members where you written. 
So there was no other choice other than for you to be designed and look exactly like God wanted you to That's look right. like. And the personality that you might have been born with was carried in your code. Now, all of those personalities are not good. And this is why the devil has a seed in the world where he also has given you a personality that the Lord has to reprogram you in being born again to be like Christ. Because some people would say, well, your dad is like that, so obviously it's natural. Your dad might be crazy because of what he experienced in the world and the sin that was in his life that passed through your genetics. But what you want to be is truly made over in Jesus to have his personality. That's right. Verse 17, how precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God, how great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. So we got to understand this is another part of God's thoughts towards us. Now, no one, everyone knows you can't even count the grain of sand in a cup. No. Okay, in a teaspoon, let alone all the sand of the sea. These are God's thoughts towards us. This is how much he loves us. This is what he truly thinks of you. Mm -hmm. Aside from evolution that tells you a man came from monkeys six million years ago. Okay, and then we became Neanderthals and everything else. See, that's the scientific viewpoint to make man, uh, to give man excuse to be who he is from the world. Mm -hmm. Okay, but God calls us into a holy estate calls us unto holiness that we may be presentable before him. Yeah. So God has a greater thought towards you than these lying evolutionists saying, well, man is an animal too. I'm no animal, all right? I'm made in the image and glory of God. And this is what we need to see and understand so we stop thinking like animals. All right, so it says, uh, verse 19, I think that's where I am, no, 18, if I should count them, they are more in number than the sea, I mean, than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. Surely thou will slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, ye bloody men. For they, shout, for they speak against thee wickedly, and thine enemies take thy name in vain. Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee. And am not I grieved with those that rise up against thee. I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them mine enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. This is one of my favorite psalms because David doesn't just recognize how the Lord has made him and that the Lord is all-powerful, all-knowing, and he's everywhere. But he also goes to the enemies that are against God, that speak against God, that speak of his name in vain. That would pretty much be the world. Mm -hmm. But then you have David here saying, Lord, I hate them who hate you. I hate them with perfect hatred, and I count them my enemies. So David is automatically pledging his allegiance to Jesus Christ, to God, okay? He's not on the side of the wicked. He said, depart from me, ye bloody men. I don't want anything to do with you. I want to be on the side of God. And he says he hates them with perfect hatred and he counts them as enemies. Then he says, Lord, search me out so I don't be deceived and think that I'm on the good side when really I'm full of iniquity. So these are, one, these are some of the best psalms that we can ask the Lord in prayer. Lord, search me out and show me that I'm not good, that I may be good because I may be full of Jesus Christ which is the only way to goodness. Now, you know, goodness is a fruit of the Spirit. In order to be good, 
We have to have the fruit of Jesus Christ grown in us. You are not good just by your definition. You are good according to the word of God and having a spirit of holiness, which the Lord is sanctifying us all from everything that we're in. Right. All right, so let's move on. I just wanted to read that real quick. Now, we are going to go to uh, Revelation 21, and we're going to start at verse 1. All right, Revelation 21, we'll start at verse 1, and it says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Again, I want to make this clear because the World Mission Society Church of God likes to refer to this as saw Hong's wife, Mother Jerusalem, Mother God. That's a bunch of nonsense, okay? They're talking about here the new Jerusalem, meaning the new heaven. The Bible just makes it clear here in verse 1. All you guys have got to do is read it, okay? He says, a new heaven and a new earth. So this is not pertaining to a person. And then he's talking about the holy city, the place that we're all going to live, where Jesus said in John 14, in my father's house, there are many mansions, and if there were not so, I, I wouldn't have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Does this sound familiar? Mm -hmm. This is not a woman right. or mother God. This is the holy city Jerusalem, which means the motherland. Okay, that Hebrew word, mater, or Greek word, mater, mother of us all. Okay, which is talking about where we're all originally from and where we will remain until the end of time. All right, verse 3, And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and, um, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. So again, it says, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. Okay, so there is a tabernacle coming down out of the heavens that is with men. I don't mean to get on this because this isn't the subject tonight, but these people can really irritate you in terms of not reading scripture for what it is, but believing in this false gospel for what they want. Exactly. Okay, so verse 4, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death. Can you imagine? Mm -hmm. Neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain. For the former things are passed away. So that is a beautiful thing. As we all have experienced hurt in our lives and fear. And oh man, we've done some mean things to people. And people have done mean things to us. We have lived our lives in wretched sin and all sorts of things. And God has redeemed us and got us to this point where all pain will pass away. And all that will exist is all that God is. All those that are of God and his nature. I mean, what a beautiful time. Verse 5. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. So that means that these words that are about to be written, and these words that we already heard, are true and faithful, meaning that they will come to pass. 
verse 6. And he said unto me, it is done. I am Alpha and Omega. We know that this is Jesus Christ, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of a fountain of the water of life freely. So we need to understand here that Adam and Eve actually had this fountain before, which was the tree of life, which we did in a previous study. Anybody want more understanding? Go to soundoftrumpetministries.com and um, I'm Minister Derek Hallett. Look up a teaching called the tree of life. But this is, this is what Jesus was also talking about. Out of our bellies will flow this river of living water. So this would be totally connected to ever to Jesus Christ and to the lifeline that Adam and Eve gave up um, for the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So we have to understand that it's not the tree of knowledge of good and evil anymore. There's no more perspective outside of God. There's no more philosophy. There's no more false belief. There's no more false religion. There's no more the way that I see it. The tree of knowledge of good and evil is gone. And now you have the tree of life that pours straight from God. Our lifeline to live forever. Verse 7. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. So this sounds so beautiful concerning what we will have, but, you know, we got to read the first three words. He that overcometh. So that means that, you know, this is not just something that we walk into. There are things that we have to overcome. And this is the basis behind tonight's teaching because we're about to read what it is that we must overcome. Now, you know that you can't get anything in this life void of overcoming, void of succeeding, void of working hard for that which you really want. So don't expect God's kingdom to be any different. The only plus side is, is that God is not relying on you and I to do this. He is relying on Jesus Christ in you. But it is your responsibility to have Jesus Christ grown in you that you may see and that you may understand. Okay, so we have to feed Jesus with the right doctrine. We have to feed Jesus that grows in us with the right spirit. Okay, we have to give him the word. We have to nurture him. We have to spend time in him. We have to have these fruit grow in us that the gifts may manifest. Now, what fruit? You go to Galatians 5 in your spare time. In 19, it talks about the fruit that are of the flesh or the seeds of the flesh. But then you go down to verse 20 or 21 and it says, But love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, meekness, temperance, faith, and I believe gentleness are, are the uh, gifts that the Lord wants, are the fruit that the Lord wants grown in us. Mm -hmm. So we do have to grow Jesus Christ in us in order to overcome. Okay, so let's not let that shoot by us. Let's read it again. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. That is a conditional statement. So all of the things that we read in the beginning that were beautiful, seeing this holy city come down, seeing everything that's here, and then hearing about, man, no more tears, no more crying, no more pain, no more sorrow. These apply to overcomers in Christ that have overcome what? The world, the flesh, and the devil. Uh -huh. Okay, for those that have overcome that, then you can have all these things that he promised. Right. Now look at verse 8. This is what we're going to base most of our teaching on tonight, technically all of it. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers 
and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Okay, so what we're going to do in this study tonight is we're going to break down what each one of these things are. We're going to read them in the Greek words themselves so that you have understanding. So that way there will be no misunderstanding and who is going into the kingdom of heaven and who is not. Okay, so we all read that for ourselves in verse 8. So from here, let's move on. The first one we're going to tackle is fearfulness. Okay, because a lot of people are afraid to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. A lot of people want to be neutral. They don't want to offend their family members that may be in false religions. They don't want to have any part in this because they feel like if I can stay neutral, I'll still be in good standing with God. And this is where the false doctrine of you cannot judge me for the stuff that I'm doing or what I'm saying. Only God judges. Man, if you want God to judge you, it'll be too late. You're already judged according to his word because it's written here. So we may as well deal with the grace and having people tell us what we need to know so that we can walk as children of light and not those who are on their way to hell being deceived. Right. Now, we know that we can judge a situation if the spirit be in us. And that's why he's only speaking of hypocritical judgment that you can't judge a situation, but you can judge if you spiritually understand what is going on and you are not partaking in the exact same sin. And that's why he wants us to see clearly in Matthew 7 what this is so that way we can judge a situation righteously. All right, so the first one is fear. This is um, Strong's definition. This is um, word G1169. And the word in the Greek is delios. Okay, and it means timid or fearful. And then it says um, dread, timid, that is by implication faithless and fearful. Okay, so we understand here that this word is timid and fearful. Now, you can come to mind how many people are actually timid in the world. But I do want to go into this because some people will say, well, what's wrong with that? Doesn't the Bible say the meek shall inherit the earth? The Bible does say that. But you got to understand that meekness is not timidness. Meekness is humility. Meekness is humble. You know, meekness is not proud. Right. But meekness is not fearful, nor is it timid. Okay? Because the Bible says that Moses was the meekest of men. But Moses had a redwood like a, I mean, you know, a backbone like a redwood. So he was no wimp. Right. He still went forward and did what the Lord called him to do. Exactly. All right, so let's get started. Let's go to 2 Timothy um, chapter 1, and we'll start at verse 1 about this fear. All right. Uh, 2 Timothy 1, and we'll start at verse 1, and it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, I want to make something clear before we go on. Um, the books of Timothy were written by Paul. Paul was coming to teach a young minister, Timothy, the ways of God. So this was an apostle to an apprentice or a young minister showing him the way. So everything that Paul is telling him here is for Timothy's own good. It's for correction. 
All right, so then it says in verse 3, I thank God whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience that without ceasing I have a remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt uh, first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, uh, and I am persuaded uh, that in thee also. So Paul is saying that Timothy, when he first learned, you know, his mother and grandmother are those who instilled the faith in him. But the Lord is trying to take, or Timothy, Paul is trying to take Timothy to another level of understanding. It's good you believe while you're young, but you have to grow in faith and in spirit, understanding the Lord more. Verse 6, Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by the putting on of hands. So we understand that when you deal with the presbytery, and this is why a lot of churches don't grow, but um, when a person is um, seeking Christ, they go through stages as far as um, being built up in Jesus. You learn about God's word. You learn about the sincere milk. You learn about what the uh, do's and don'ts are in believing God. And when you reach a certain level of belief and you start to get into the meat and you start to gain understanding, the presbytery, which are the elders, will lay hands on you by the Holy Ghost and put a gift in you that comes from the Lord. Now, whatever this gift is, it could be prophecy, it could be teaching, it could be healing of hands, it could be lots of different things. But it's up to God to show you what the gift is, because even the presbytery doesn't know. So Timothy had gone through all these stages as far as having the Holy Ghost, having the gift in him, and Paul is saying, I am coming to stir up that gift that is in you, that you may know and you may have some understanding. Okay, so the Spirit can lay dormant in us, and so can the gifts, but God and usually teachers will stir up that gift that is in you to show you what your strengths are. Verse 7, For God hath not given us a, the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So we understand here that the spirit of fear is, well, fear for one is a spirit, and it does not come from God. So Paul was saying, we laid hands on you to stir up that gift. And any good teacher will do this. He's not just going to teach you about love. He's going to stir up what is in you that you may be built up in Christ, believing your God more and having more faith. Anybody that just wants to give you sugar gospel, they don't care if you get cavities. But the Bible makes clear that you need to know things for correction, to be reproved, to be built up. And under the proper teachers, you will have less faith. Why? Because they will put in you about the power of God and, and the Holy Ghost, you know, is a big part of this. So he's saying that God hasn't given us fear. So anytime that we experience fear, if it's not fear of the Lord, which the Bible tells you is a good thing, it does not come from God. So we have to check ourselves. The Lord wants our minds sound, meaning that we can rightly discern what's going on. And there is a peace over your mind. Mm -hmm. But then there is love, of course, which is the word agape, which is selflessness, mm -hmm. is why we do what we do. Why do we preach the gospel? We don't do it so that other people will get something from us. Well, give me some money for preaching for you. I mean, or teaching you the word. No. 
This is all out of love. This is so you don't want anyone to go to hell. Okay, so you are preaching the truth and hope that they may get saved, but also of power. Because as the Bible says, the spirit quickeneth. That word is dunamis. All right, so this is the power that lives in us when the Holy Ghost lives. And this is that very treasure that Jesus said or Paul said that the Lord put down in your soul, in your in your being, that you have to mine and dig out through, through prayer, prayer and fasting, having Jesus Christ formed in us. Okay, so we recognize first here that it is a spirit. Verse uh, 8, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. So we make clear here that there are two things that people can be afraid of. And this is why a lot of people don't grow in Christ. One, they're ashamed of the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because they feed on the world. They're not remaining in the spirit. So naturally you feel like you're betraying that which you are. Okay, so I know that I live like the world, so that's why I don't want to preach Jesus, because I'm, I'm embarrassed to. But if Christ fully lives in you, you're only going to do what Jesus Christ would do, and that would be to preach the gospel. Mm -hmm. The second part is, be partaker of the afflictions of the gospel. Partakers of the afflictions of the gospel? I thought this was good news. So this is why people become afraid of this and don't want anything to do with it when God's spirit is who lives in us. Right. Okay, so Jesus Christ wasn't afraid of his affliction, nor he was afraid to preach the gospel. And the Bible tells us, and I believe it's, um, I think it's Acts uh, 20, but it talks about how, no, I think it's Acts 14. Acts 14, where Paul said, after being stoned, that you enter into the kingdom of heaven through great, through much uh, tribulation. So there is no way to get in aside from it. And this also goes to what John was talking about to him that overcometh. Okay, so we understand there are two things that we're afraid of that we need to get over and get built up in Christ. You build Jesus Christ in you and you grow in Christ by partaking of his word and seeking relationship, okay, and being led by his spirit. And none of these things will move you because it's not you. It is Jesus Christ that lives in you. All right, so let's go on. Let's go to um, let's go to Matthew 25 again, and we'll go to verse 14 this time. Matthew 25 and verse 14. Right, Matthew 25 and 14, and it says, For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country, who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. To every man, according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. So, you know, don't you think that this had something to do with Paul when he was telling Timothy? how the king would come and give us gifts or talents according to our several ability. So whatever the Holy Ghost has given you, only God can reveal. But the presbytery can deliver the Spirit to you being, you know, by laying on of hands. So this is what Paul tried to give Timothy to stir up the gift that is, that is within. What is Timothy's gift? I don't know. But the fact of the matter is, this sounds just like the kingdom of heaven the man traveling unto his servants to give them his goods. Okay, so this would be Jesus Christ coming to deliver goods unto us or talents 
according to our several ability. He didn't give everyone here the same gifts. He gave one five, he gave one two, and he gave another one. Okay? So it says in verse um, 16, Then he that had uh, received the five talents went and traded with the same and made them other five talents. And likewise, he that had received two, he also gained other two. But he that received one went and digged in the earth and hid, and hid the Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. And so he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. His Lord said unto them, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Okay, so the Bible is making clear here that um, this guy was given five talents and the Lord gave him five more. Okay, I mean, well, he gained five more. These talents are none other than salvation, winning souls. It's, it is using the gifts that God has given you to win other people to Jesus Christ. Okay, so you've got some people that may have stronger gifts than others. And this is why when you go to the parable of the sower, it says he gave some that were fruitful. They bring in a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. So everyone isn't going to have the same amount that they gain. But one thing is for sure, they were all supposed to be faithful with what God gives us. Okay, yeah. And even like when the, the men went out into the field for so many hours, mm -hmm. and he even gave one talent to those that were just out there for one hour, because, again, like you're saying, it's talking about salvation. It doesn't mm -hmm. matter if you've been saved for 30 years, if you've been saved for five minutes. For five minutes. It's all exactly. the same. That's yeah. right. That is absolutely right. So the last servant went and, and um, hid the Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of the servants cometh and reckoneth with them. And so he that had received, I think I passed that. You did. Where am I at? Verse 21? Uh, 22. 22. Okay, so that guy got five talents more, and the Lord said, Enter into thy rest, thou good and faithful servant. Mm -hmm. Verse 22. He also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Verse 24. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art an hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not strawed. So the one with the easiest job hid the Lord's money. He didn't want to do anything with the gifts that God had given him. You know, not to share them with others. He hid the money, and then out of his fear, he accused the Lord, you know, of something that was not true. He said that God was unfair. What unfair? Mm -hmm. And this is what happens when you get worldly people that come into churches, and God gives you a gift and wants you to work that you will quote to me all day long. Well, it is not, um, it is not of works, lest any man should boast. That we are saved by grace through faith. Okay, we were saved. Saved for what? Okay, because we do have to overcome in the kingdom of heaven. But these lazy people, full of sloth, will tell you, 
We are saved by grace through faith and not of works, lest any man should boast. So in other words, get off my back. Don't tell me what I should be doing. Jesus Christ did it all. So stay away from me. I'm going to live in my sloth and believing that God is going to save me, though I have not helped to save others, nor done anything for the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. Now, you know that James comes and adds to this the completion of what um, Ephesians 2 and 8 and 9 meant by saying faith without works is dead. Now, you cannot have works over faith. You need faith first in Jesus Christ. Faith in Christ and getting built up in him will lead you to good works, but James makes clear faith without works is dead. Okay, so you can't sit on the fence all day claiming faith, faith, faith. If you have faith, you will do. Now, it does begin in faith in Jesus Christ, but the Spirit of God that you receive from believing will lead you unto good works. Okay, so we have to understand that. So this guy's called Jesus unfair, calls him mean. You know, he's just upset with God because God told him to do something. Verse 25. And I was afraid and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast, that thou hast is thine. So he's going to give the Lord his talent back, saying, well, now you can have it. But you see, he gave the truth and what the whole problem was. It didn't have anything to do with God being unfair. unfair. The answer is in 25. And I was afraid and I went and hid thy talent in the earth. So what overtook him? Fear. This servant believed that there was something greater than God, which made him think right away, no faith in God, that he's unfair. Because what God would send me out there with both knees knocking together and me scared to death to preach the gospel, I believe that that circumstance was bigger than God. Mm -hmm. So that's his problem. His problem isn't God being unfair. You're afraid, which means you lack faith. So this is a part of being fearful and what it can keep us from doing, which is the Lord's will. 26, his Lord answered and said unto him, thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not and gather where I have not strawed. So, you know, this, this servant misjudged God and God is saying, oh, so I'm like this. So you're saying I'm unfair. You know, this is what you think of me, but he called him wicked. So his fear did not excuse him because he had no faith in God. Mm -hmm. So he said, you are wicked and slothful. Okay, so your problem is you're lazy, so you hide behind faith. But then you're wicked because you preach faith and not believe. So you see how these two come together. Verse 27, thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming, I should have received mine own uh, with usury. Take therefore the talent from him and give it to him that hath ten talents. For unto every man that hath, sh- that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. So the Lord is saying, you wasted my time. You didn't want to preach the gospel. Well, I'm going to take your talent from you and give it to someone who truly deserves it because he made good with what I gave him. So that's why he he told the other two, though you were faithful over a few things, I'll make you faithful over many because you didn't make excuse. You did what I told you to do. And that was good enough for me. Okay. So he says, but look at this. So he didn't just take his talent away. That was humiliating enough. 
Look at verse 30. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I believe, ladies and gentlemen, he was talking about the lake of fire. Now, the Lord expected us to be profitable. That's why he called him unprofitable. So fear is not enough to get you past this. You better get built up and have more faith in God because you can't cry fearful. He's giving you plenty of reason to not be fearful. Mm -hmm. So we are going to look at two things here real quick. Let's go to Proverbs 1 and 7, and we're going to hear of a different kind of fear. Proverbs 1, and we'll uh, look at verse 7. Right. What does Proverbs 1 and 7 say? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So it makes clear here that to fear the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, because when you fear the Lord, Lord, I don't want to make a move unless you tell me to make this move, because you are all-knowing, you are all-powerful, and you're everywhere. So right away, your wisdom increases because you're not seeking your wisdom. You're seeking the wisdom of God. So there are many uh, scriptures like this. There's also um, Proverbs 9 and 10 when it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of understanding. Because when you fear the Lord, again, you won't make moves without him. You will seek his counsel, which will lead you unto understanding. Now, I want to make a quick point here about fear. So let's go to Isaiah chapter 11. And we'll start at verse 1, because it's describing Jesus, but it's also describing what Jesus had. So Isaiah 11, and verse 1 says, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Now that's Jesus. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. That's 1. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding. That's 3. The Spirit of counsel and of might. That's 5. The spirit of knowledge, which is six, and the fear of the Lord, which makes seven. So fear of the Lord is one of the seven spirits of God. If anyone wants more understanding, go to soundandtrumpetministry.com, Minister Derek Hallett, and look up um, the seven spirits of God. We did a teaching on this. But one thing is clear is that the um, fear of the Lord is a spirit that comes from God. Why? Because you reverence him. You love him, you don't want to hurt him, and you don't want to fall on the wrong side of him. So this is a different kind of fear, because to fear God is to show that there's nothing greater than he. Now, when you are afraid of anything else, I mean, you're afraid to do what God tells you to do, that's a different kind of fear from the enemy, because you now believe that something is greater than him. So to fear him is to prove that he is greater than anything, and to fear something else other than him, to not obey him, is saying that there is something greater than him. So you see how that goes? You know, so fear isn't necessarily bad if you give it to the Lord. Right. But if you fear something else and won't do what the Lord tells you to do, you lack faith. And that is your only problem. And I'm going to show you what else you're lacking concerning this. So let's move on. Let's go to 1 John 4 and verse 15 at the back of the Bible. All right. 
right, 1 John 4, verse 15, it says, Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. So he makes that clear, that you confess that Jesus is Lord, then God is in you. You know, Jesus is the Son of God, God is in you. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. So as Jesus walks, so we walk. So there is your boldness, and Jesus didn't walk in fear. But let's see what's the problem. Verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. So when you're made, look at how he jumbles this together. John first starts out about loving God or doing what the Lord says. If you're of God, then you confess Jesus. That's one. And Jesus lives in you. Okay, so God lives in you if you confess Jesus. The second thing that he goes into is, okay, God is love. So we got to make this clear. You confess Jesus then God lives in you. God is love. So that means that love is in you. But he doesn't just stop there. Herein is our love made perfect that we may be bold or have boldness in the day of judgment because we walked as Christ walked. So if we're walking as Jesus walked, we're walking in love, but we're walking in boldness knowing that we believe God. Verse 18, there is no fear in love. So you can cut that out. If you got fear, then there is no love. But perfect love casteth out fear, but fear hath torment. He that, that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. So you have to know the Lord, get to understand him, that fear may be taken from the midst of you. But you can't watch your brother go to hell or be afraid or ashamed of the gospel and say that you have love because the Bible here is calling you a liar. Yep. You first need God's love, which is agape love, which is, which is um, translated as selflessness, as translated as charity. So it's about what you can do for your brother, what you can do for others, what you can do for the Lord. Totally selfless. So if you're selfish, love can't be in you because you're more worried about you than you are worried about God. So the reason why, and this is the last example I'm making as far as fear is concerned, is you don't have love. You've got love for you and no one else. If you had love for the Lord or if you truly loved your brother, you would not have fear in doing what God told you to do. Okay, so there is no excuse, all right, in the last day or this day when they talk about fear. Okay, because fear is also accompanied by love. It's accompanied by truth. I mean, well, knowing who God is and it's obeying him. Right. So there is no getting around that. So if you're fearful, you need to have more faith in Jesus Christ or you're going to find yourself in the lake of fire that burneth with, with brimstone, which is the second death. All right, so the second example here we're going to use is going to be um, unbelieving. So the word for unbelieving, the Greek word, um, the number is G571. And the word in the Greek is apistos. Okay, and it means unfaithful, faithless, 
not to be trusted, uh, perfidious, incredible of things, unbelieving, uncredulous, uh, without trust in God. So you see how fearful and unbelieving these two come together. Now we're going to bring up a few scriptures to talk about unbelieving, but um, the point here is without trust in God. So it's no wonder these two are the first ones in the lake of fire right. because of the fact that they don't have faith and they don't trust in God. Mm -hmm. You know, so there you have it. That means that you don't even believe in Jesus. You can't believe in Jesus if you are fearful and unbelieving. All right, so let's move on. So the next, this one is unbelieving. Let's go to Mark 16 and let's start at verse 15. All right, Mark 16 and 15, these are some of the last things that Jesus said. He said, uh, and he said unto them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. So this is making it clear right here that if you don't believe that you're damned, that yeah. if you believe the gospel that, that you are told to do and you go and teach, then you believe. And he, you know, and further down, because this is not the subject tonight, but he talks about those signs will follow that belief. He'll cast out devils. Okay. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. If they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. So according to every believer, Jesus Christ said what would follow them is authority and power with signs and wonders following. Okay, so just imagine, let's just sit around and imagine from all the churches that we know. Not only are you not preaching the right gospel, not only are you not telling people they'll be damned if they don't believe, but then these signs don't even follow you. No. So what does that tell you about you? That you are unbelieving. Because other than call Jesus Christ a liar or say that the gifts were done away, I'd rather call you unbelieving. Okay, now he talks about what should a believer have. Now, of course, these are these are fruit that are growing up, that grown in us, that gifts will give us. But it talks about speaking with new tongues. You got churches here that will say that the gifts are done away and there is no speaking in tongues. So then, my question is, how are you a believer? You see, all these things are going to stem from unbelief. So we're going to make many different examples of this. Let's go to uh, John three. And let's start at verse 18. Let's go to John 3 and 18. All right. John 3 and 18. And it says, uh, let's start at verse. Uh, let's start at verse 14. All right, so this is John 3 and 14. It began with Nicodemus asking Jesus, you know, how must I be? Now, let's start at verse 1. That's where I think I can tell, like, the Lord is bringing me back. All right, so John 3 and verse 1, and it says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. 
for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Oh, so I guess Jesus believed, and so does Nicodemus, because he said, man, God has to be with you to see these miracles that you're performing. Going right back to what Jesus said concerning the signs that would follow them that believe. Even going further back to what he told Timothy, or how he talked about how that those who were, or John said, for those who were of Christ, they would walk as the Lord walked. Okay, so from here, let's continue, and it says, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So first you have to be baptized to turn away from your sin. Mm -hmm. Then comes the later baptism to be born of the Spirit, where the Holy Ghost indwells you, and the signs that Jesus said would follow us would come. Verse 6. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. So you got a lot of people out there that are claiming to believe God, but yet they won't go as the Spirit wills. A lot of people are not even baptized in the Spirit. They're just sitting in church, believing that they're born again. They were baptized. They may have changed things in their lives, but there was no power and sign following them at all. So, you know, hey, I'm going to leave it up to the Bible to prove it. If no one wants to believe that this is true, then you're an unbeliever. But the Bible makes clear of those who would follow believers. Now, everyone that is of the kingdom of God wouldn't just be sitting up in a church together. When they break out from the pastor, they would all do what the will of God said. Right. Even if they're sitting in the congregation, the Spirit may have them prophesy. The Spirit may have them praise or teach. The Spirit may have them lay hands on the sick. But, you know, either way, their work doesn't stop after Sunday. Their work is continuous 24-7, wherever the Spirit leads. Verse 9. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Thou art a master of Israel, and knowest not these things. Just like a lot of people in churches. Are, are people that are members in churches and know not these things. Mm -hmm. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things, and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you heavenly things? And this is why the Lord tells us to get free of the carnal mind, because you'll find the carnal mind is in the church. The carnal mind, you know, uh, believes in the power of God. But what is it? They, uh, what does 2 Timothy chapter 3 say when it talks about that they um, have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. Yep. So you see, a form of godliness is just a shell. That's the outward look. Mm -hmm. What you want the Lord is to work with you through and through that you might believe even those things that are spiritual. Yep. And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, 
even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. So if you're not opening your mouth for the Lord, you are not lifting up Jesus. Verse 15, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent uh, not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So as you can see, God does not want people in the lake of fire. He wants people saved. He wants people to know Jesus Christ that they may live. But he's already said, for those who don't believe, man, you're condemned. For those who believe, they will accept, they will um, gain what the Lord gives us. Verse 18, he that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already, that he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So we want to make clear here, I don't care if we're talking Islam, I don't care if we're talking Judaism without Jesus, I don't care if we're talking about Catholicism that pushes up Mary over Jesus, if we're talking anything that does not believe in the sound doctrine of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone, you are an unbeliever. You can be a Jehovah's Witness, you're an unbeliever. If you're a Mormon, you're an unbeliever. If you're in the World Mission Society Church of God pushing up Asahang and his mother God, you are an unbeliever. This is about Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. If you're an atheist, you're an unbeliever. If you're agnostic that wants to tell people that, well, you know, there are all possibilities and I can't say who's right or who's wrong. I really want to call agnostics worthless, mm -hmm. okay, because they just want to hide. And the Lord already says what are going to happen to the lukewarm. You are an unbeliever. So if you push anything up with Jesus, you're an unbeliever. If you don't believe in Jesus at all, you're an unbeliever. So let's just make this clear. The fearful and the unbelieving will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's right. And this is the condemnation that light is come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. So it's not about unbelief. The gospel is being preached all over the world. Okay, don't assume that, you know, you had samurais and Buddhists living their lives and you had all these people in their own religions and the gospel never got out. Jesus has been preaching the truth. The prophets have been dealing with proselytes and people that came way before dealing with Gentiles. There were Gentiles that chose to walk with that chose to walk with the laws, statutes, and commandments of Moses. Okay, the stranger the Bible calls them, or the foreigner. They were allowed to come in as long as they believed. The word of God has been preached everywhere, so there is no excuse for anyone at any time. Okay, God has always been preaching the truth, but the world likes to paint this picture of there is no, well, you know, everyone has their own belief. Everyone chooses their own belief, but guaranteed before anyone left this earth, the gospel was preached to you. No one is going to call Jesus Christ a liar or an unbeliever. That's that is right. not going to happen. That's right. And again, I mean, if you think about it, these signs that keep, uh, they go up and down at times, but these signs that go up around in Portland saying without a reasonable doubt Jesus Christ is real, 
or you know come to know Jesus or this that and the other about Jesus Christ you notice that Jesus Christ in the scriptures are the only billboards going up mm -hmm. never saying that Buddha is real never saying that Krishna is real yeah. never says that evolution is real let's think about that for a second why is that because he is the only way the truth and the life exactly and he's always been the enemy of this world mm -hmm. So people won't accept the belief system of Jesus Christ because the Bible makes clear that they're in darkness, that's one, and coming to the gospel of Jesus Christ is going to shed light and bring us into all truth. But why they won't, it says, because their deeds were evil. So if anyone doesn't accept the gospel, they may have some, they may not understand, and they might have grown up in it, but the reason why they will not come to believe, and this is no other reason than this, their deeds are evil. They don't want to be exposed. They don't want to accept God and have their full capacity in him. They don't want Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Verse 20. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light. Neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. So no one wants to be corrected. What I do is my truth, my belief system, and no one's going to convince me otherwise. You see? It's because they don't want to be reproved, meaning corrected or exposed. Mm -hmm. Verse 21. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. So those who will believe, they understand, hey, I've got some things wrong. I want to come to be corrected. I want to be like Christ. So there's the difference between believers and unbelievers. And I don't think that we need to remain on this. All right? You guys can read um, Hebrews 3. No, let's go there real quick. Hebrews 3, and then we'll move on. The others are going to be quick, but I want to make this point in Hebrews chapter 3. Because, you know, some people would say it don't take all of that. Okay, so let's see why Paul wrote in Hebrews about the time of when, they were, when the Israelites were trying to go into the land. This is verse 7. All right, Hebrews 3 and 7. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness. When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years. Wherefore, I was grieved with that generation and said, they do always error in their heart, and, and they have not known my ways." So it's not that the ways weren't presented to the people is why they didn't believe. They had, um, you know, in their hearts, they tempted God and they, they hardened their hearts towards him. So that's where the error begins, because when the truth is presented, the truth should strike you in the heart and say, you know what, this is right. But why most people won't receive it, they harden their hearts from the truth, right. provoking God to the point that they have not known his ways. Not because they don't want to. I mean, not because they don't, it's never gotten to them. They don't want it. Mm -hmm. All right, verse 11. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. So sin is deceitful. So a lot of times in these false religions and other things that people are going into, they believe that what they're doing is good and that they don't owe anyone anything. 
And this is where the big deception plays in. Because you feel like what you're doing is right. But it's deceitful because it's not of God. So it is sin, but it's deceitful sin. Because mm -hmm. you feel good. Why wouldn't it be good? Exactly. You know, this is why a lot of people get caught up. 14. For we are made partakers of Christ. If we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. So we are partakers with Christ if we hold our confidence from the beginning unto the end. While it is said today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. And I'm telling people listening, I don't care if you're in another religion or whatever's going on. If you will hear my voice, what I'm sitting here reading and teaching, don't harden your hearts. Because you're going to provoke the Lord. I'm reading from his word. I'm not putting my own spin on this. Nope. So this is backed by the Holy Ghost. Exactly. For some, when they had heard, did provoke, did provoke. How be it, not all that came out of Egypt by Moses. But with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose, carcass, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believe not? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. So it makes it clear right here for all those promises we read in Revelation 21. If you harden your heart and you don't believe what is being taught here, if you don't believe God's word and those that are preaching that Jesus is the only way, you're going to harden your heart and you will not enter in to that rest. Because when you're not crying anymore, when you're not in pain anymore, and you're not grieved anymore, man, that is some kind of rest. Yes. As how many of us know, we can't even get rest most times in our sleep. No, okay, exactly. so that ought to tell you that sleep doesn't even escape this. Nope. If you want to get into God's rest, don't harden your hearts with unbelief. Accept him as true. Jesus Christ is the truth, mm -hmm. and we have to walk with him. Mm -hmm. All right, so there's no excuse for an unbeliever either. Let's go to the abominable. That's the next one. Let's go to Leviticus 18, but I want to read what abominable is. And it says, the word abominable is, <laughs> it's called uh, Deluso. It starts with a B and has a D right next to it, but it's called Deluso. And that is um, G948. Okay, that is, the, that is the Greek number. G948, the, Hebrew, the Greek word is deluso. And it says, to render foul, to cause to be abhorred, like hated or disgusted, abominable, to turn oneself away from on account um, of the stench, metaphorically to abhor and to detest. Strong's definition, detest, especially of idolatry, abhor, abominable. Okay, so this saying, man, this is so foul, so nasty, so filthy, that to smell it is just a turn away. Oh, my gosh, I can't stay in this same room. This is absolutely disgusting. So this is the next level of people that are going into hell or going into the lake of fire on the abominable. So we're going to start in Leviticus 18, because it's full of abominable works. And let's see what we can uncover. All right. 
All right, Leviticus 18. I can just read this one chapter and then we'll be done with that. All right. Let's go there. Leviticus 18, and it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, I am the Lord your God. After the doings of the land of Egypt, wherein ye dwelt, shall ye not do. And after the doings of the land of Canaan, whither I bring you, ye shall not do. Neither shall ye walk in their ordinances. So right away, we understand that everything that is about to be said went on in the land of Egypt. Yes, those great pharaohs. Okay, they were walking around in gold and in, and in pyramids and having all this wealth. They were the world power at this time. And in the land of Canaan, where the giants dwelt in the giant tribes, the Amorites, the Jebusites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, you know, all those guys, okay? Mm -hmm. So everything that we're about to say came out of Egypt and came out of Canaan. So let's, let's read. Ye shall do my judgments and keep my ordinances to walk therein. I am the Lord your God. Ye shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man do, he shall live in them. I am the Lord. None of you shall approach to any that is near of kin to him to uncover their nakedness. I am the Lord. So he's making it clear that you need to walk around with some respect, with your clothes on. Your body is for you. I'm not talking about a two-year-old baby running around the house, you know, just got out of the shower with no clothes. Things like that happen. You know, you clothe them or whatever. There's innocence there. But he's talking about looking at your sister, looking at anybody in your family, your mom unclothed, walking around you. Any of these people in nakedness, that is considered not godly. And this is what went on in Egypt. You are to cover yourself. Verse 8. The nakedness of thy father's wife shalt thou not uncover, if it is thy father's nakedness. Okay, so these are things that we should not do. I believe this is also going, he's going to go a little further, but this is talking about, I don't care who it is, you're not supposed to see them like that. Okay, verse 10. Why do you think that the devil has got people dressing in all kinds of short stuff that shows all their body parts, and it's just getting worse and worse? Now you got skirts up to the tonsils and everything else going on because the devil knows that these things bother God. Mm -hmm. So you see, this is what was going on in Egypt, and this is what will be taking place in the world today. Exactly. Verse 9, the nakedness of thy sister, the daughter, or of thy father, or daughter, or thy mother, whether she be born at home or born abroad. Oh, not even then. Even their nakedness thou shalt not uncover. So the Bible is saying no nakedness anywhere for anyone. Okay, when you come out of the shower, have a towel wrapped around your behind coming out and put some clothes on. Yep. All right, verse 10. Did I read that? No. Uh, 10. The nakedness of thy son's daughter or of thy daughter's daughter, even their nakedness, thou shalt not uncover, for theirs is thine own nakedness. And this is why when you go to Timothy... I believe it's um, 1 Timothy chapter 2. It talks about how women ought to be in modest apparel, yeah. okay, and shamefacedness in sobriety, okay? So they're not, um, they're, they're dressed in modest apparel. They're not dressed like whores. The Bible refers to that as the attire of a whore. These things are disgusting before the Lord. So then it says, um, 
And I think I'm in 12, and it says, Thou shalt not uncover the nakedness of thy father's sister. She is thy father's uh, near kinswoman. So that's your aunt. Stop looking at your aunt, or, or your aunt, you have enough sense enough to have some clothes on. Yep. All right, so let's skip past this. But anyway, thou shalt not uncover the nakedness of thy mother's sister, for she is thy mother's near kinswoman. So, see, no one can skip by this because all the Lord is doing is naming everybody and everything. There's no excuse. 13. Thou shalt not uncover the naked... Oh, I read that. 14. Thou shalt not uncover the nakedness of thy father's brother. Thou shalt not approach to his wife. She is thine aunt. Uh, thou shalt not uncover the nakedness of thy daughter-in-law. She is thy son's wife. Thou shalt not uncover the na her nakedness. Thou shalt not uncover the nakedness of thy brother's wife. Uh, it is thy brother's nakedness. Thou shalt not uncover the nakedness of uh, a woman or and uh, her daughter. Neither shalt thou take her son's daughter or her daughter's daughter to uncover her nakedness, for they are here. For they are her near kinswoman. Um, it is wickedness. So I am going to say this. This is one thing I give the Muslims credit for, because one thing they will do, even though a lot of people don't know that Muslims learn their traditions from the Jews. Now, you can look that up in plenty of history, who Muhammad knew, who he was exposed to, but they learn their ways of the Jews and even how to pray to Mecca five times a day. Now, of course, the Jews didn't turn them unto Mecca. The Jews turned them unto Jerusalem praying um, several times a day. Okay, to the east. All right, so, but the point is, is at least they have that part right. Mm -hmm. I am not for Islam, but one thing they do know how to do is a woman shouldn't be dressed like this. Her body is for her husband, not for the whole world. Exactly. Let's go to verse 18, and it says, Neither shalt thou take a wife of her sister to vex her, to uncover her nakedness beside the other in, in her lifetime. Also, thou shalt not approach unto a woman to uncover her nakedness as long as she is put apart for her uncleanness. So you can't lie with a woman. If your wife is on her menstrual cycle, you are not allowed to have sex with her. Now, I know that a lot of people are doing that today, but these things are considered unclean and vile. That you should not be laying with her because she is in her cleansing period Ain't not supposed to be in the blood of someone. But even if the Bible never told us this, aside from your worldly animalistic lust of a beast, does that even sound clean? Does that even sound enticing? But you see how if you're feeding on the world, you can be abominable and not even know it. All right, so it says, verse 20, Moreover, thou shalt not lie carnally with thy neighbor's wife, to defile thyself with her. So we're speaking adultery. Okay, so this is considered unclean. This is considered abominable. Verse 21. And thou shalt not let any of thy seed pass through the fire to Moloch, neither shalt thou profane the name of thy God, I am the Lord. Now we know what was going on with Moloch as far as people passing their children through the fire. Moloch was in the valley of Gehenna, or of, of Hinnom, at the bottom of, um, at the at, in the south of valley of uh, Jerusalem, there was a place where people would go to sacrifice their children to this god Moloch. We later learned that Moloch is Baal, who was none other than, you know, Satan. 
none other than Nimrod, you know, who, who a lot of these people worship. So it is a blood sacrifice to Satan. But they would grab their newborns, put them on the white hot hands of this statue, and the hands would be heating all day. The child would get on there and disintegrate, and people felt like they would have gain. So, you know, this is even speaking of abortion today. A lot of people are doing this with little understanding as to what Planned Parenthood was, why it was created. Margaret Sanger was a good friend of Adolf Hitler, and they both believed in depopulation. Margaret Sanger had this put in the black communities first, that people would depopulate, and then she pushed and, and paid a lot of the ignorant black pastors to preach abortion so that they would have some gain. So this is a blood sacrifice to Satan. I don't care what the reason is. You know, it's it's wrong. Yep. It's not of God, and if you've done it, you need to repent before the Lord, okay? Because this is considered an abomination in the sight of God. So we need to get this right. But for time's sake, we'll move on because we're going to add this in another uh, part. Verse 22. Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is an abomination. Now, even though these things are abominable works, isn't it funny how when you get to, to uh, Leviticus 18 and verse 22, abomination is used for the first time and everything that was filed here that was said. It said, Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is an abomination. Now, we want to look at what abomination means again. It says to render foul, to cause to be abhorred, makes you sick, abominable, to turn oneself away from on account of the stench, metaphorically to abhor and to detest. So it is absolutely disgusting in the eyes of God. And we are speaking of homosexuality. Okay, so as far as uh, like Romans 1 says, that they went from uncleanness through dishonoring their own bodies unto, um, unto vile affections where they began to use things unnaturally. A penis in a woman's mouth. Okay, oral sex. All right, a man's penis and someone's uh, anus, okay, is considered an abomination before the Lord. It's sodomy, okay? So that that's not the natural use. The natural use of the anus is to release waste. The natural use of a penis is to urinate, okay, or for any other act concerning um, reproduction, okay, or having sex the right way with your wife. I'm not trying to be vile. I'm trying to have people have an understanding as to what this is. Mm -hmm. If you partake in sodomy or homosexuality, you're saying these things are okay. Now, you know that in human sperm is blood and particles of urine or, or things like that. It is waste from the body. If you're drinking this stuff, then this is unhealthy. This is unclean. It's vile. Okay, so that is an abomination before the Lord. And if anyone doesn't like what I'm saying, I really don't care right now because you need to understand how foul this is. Mm -hmm. You're sticking things in certain places that don't belong, and you're going to call it natural, even though it cannot produce after its own. Nope. So this is foul. And then lastly, there is the reprobate mind that the Bible talks about. But it says even their women took the natural use of what they have. It's a shocking statement because women are considered clean. So you get to the part of even a woman 
would resort to this. So you're talking about a defiled society. And lastly, the reprobate mind, a warped mind, a twisted mind that is outside of God, that sees the world in an upside down form or paradigm. And you consider that which is evil to be good, that which is detestable to be clean. And you're going to call it love. You better understand God is calling this abominable and there is a cure for you. And his name is Jesus Christ. We can cast demons out of people of homosexuality if you're not partaking in the same sins. Mm -hmm. It's a demon. It's a spirit. It's unclean. Most people that have had that issue in their lives, it came from molestation. All right. That is usually where 90% of them get it from. 90 plus percent molestation or someone in your family dealt with it and a familiar spirit came to you in your youth and, and tried to convince you that this is normal. Yep. Okay, so even Lot, the Bible says, vexed with the filthy conversation of the world that his righteous soul was vexed from day to day being in this world. And that's what's happened to people. You may not be homosexual, but you've got the spirit. Because part of it is you're signing off on it. You're saying that this mess is okay, and it's not okay. No, it's not. God made a man and a woman in holy matrimony in a holy estate to be able to bring forth life and to be with each other. But there was no sign of any. The Bible makes clear, even in Kings, he broke down the houses of the Sodomites and these people that were doing these unclean acts. This is unclean, guys, and I'm telling you, Jesus Christ loves you, and he wants you to turn away from that sin. This is not a nature. This is a nature you gain from partaking in the sin. But Jesus Christ can cure you from it. I've led many homosexuals to Jesus that are married, have kids, and are no longer partaking in that sin. They recognize what it is. Okay, so it is a spirit. And the Bible makes clear the first word ever used, excuse me, in Deuteronomy 18 is it's an abomination. As soon as it said mankind lying with mankind as he does with womankind, it is an abomination. And that is clear. Anybody want more understanding? We got teachings, um, soundandtrumpetministries.com. One of it is the juggernaut called Adonis Vara. <laughs> you guys can look that up, Adonis Vara. And there is another one that says, as it was in the days of Lot. So go to SantaTrumpetMinistries.com and look those up. You want more. Exactly. It is demons. Well, yeah, the demon study that was done. Oh, yeah. Um, what are demons? Right. There's another study. But we've covered it quite a bit. Verse 23. Neither shalt thou lie with any beast to defile thyselves therewith, neither shall any woman stand before a beast to lie down to lie down um, thereto. It is confusion. Another word for confusion is the word perversion. So when someone is called a pervert, it means that you're perverse. It means that your mind is twisted. Your mind is confused. Your mind needs to be reformatted and to be like Jesus Christ's mind, which is a normal mind. Okay, the mind of Christ is a normal mind. It's a mind that believes that thinks cleanly. It's not it's not in stinking thinking, trying to make, you know, sense of something that is defiled and detestable. Now, lying with a beast, come on, if you don't call this unnatural, then what is? But you see, these two are in the same category as far as the homosexuality and, and this bestiality. Okay, so this is there is nothing new under the sun. The Egyptians did this, 
and so did the people in the land of Canaan, which were the tribe of giants. Mm -hmm. This is telling us here that this should not be of God, and God doesn't stand for it. It brings confusion. You have sex with an animal, there is nothing you won't do. You cannot call that normal. Now, even a normal thinking person would know that. Mm -hmm. Even if you had no education, you know that dogs and women or men and horses or whatever, men and sheep, shouldn't be together. Okay, so this is when it's confusion, there is perversion. Your mind is even warped to even fathom this or to be attracted to it. Yep. But you see, this is where it comes from going into uncleanness and sin, unto vile affections, unto a reprobate mind. You slowly descend unto sin. And it gets worse and worse to the point to where you're a beast yourself. So this is Leviticus 18 and 24. Defile not ye yourselves in any of these things. For in all these the nations are defiled, which I cast out before you. So you don't think these people are going in the lake of fire? You don't think people that want to partake in anything here? He says that the nations of the world are this way. Mm -hmm. He calls his people to be holy and to be separate. But he said that they are defiled. So he's talking to his people, be not defiled. For those guys are defiled, and I've cast them away. Right. But this is what they practice. Mm -hmm. So, hey, when they talk about casting people in the lake of fire, all you got to do is stay this way and not want to change. Mm -hmm. Verse 25, and the land is defiled, therefore, I do visit the iniquity thereof upon it, and the land itself vomiteth out her inhabitants. Even the land is sick from this. Even the land is sick from man's sin. So it's no wonder that you got the animals and everything else sick today and not right. When Adam fell into his sin because he was made from the earth and he was the head of all creation that God put him in place of, when he fell, so did creation. This is all it's saying. Mm -hmm. Verse 26. Ye shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, and shall not commit any of these abominations, neither any of your own nations, nor any stranger that sojourneth among you. For all these abominations have the men of the land done, which were before you, and the land is defiled. And the land spew not you out also when, um, when ye defile it, as it spewed out the nations that were before you. For whosoever shall commit any of these abominations, even the souls that commit them, shall be cut off from among their people. So if you even know people that are engaged in anything that we name, they need to be cast out. Unless, like the Bible says now, because we don't follow Moses' law, but we do follow the law of the Spirit. And the Bible talks about every single one of these sins in the New Testament, okay? So there's no getting around it. But instead of following it through rules and regulations, we now have the Holy Ghost, which gives us the nature to be able to not partake in these things, that you have no appetite for them. So they're all an abomination. Therefore shall ye keep my ordinance, that ye commit not any one of these abominable customs. So they are of the nature, they are the customs of the vile nations which were committed before you, and that ye defile not yourselves therein. I am the Lord your God. So the Bible is making it clear here. We don't need to go farther with abominations. You got every example you need 
in Leviticus 18. So I think from there, we can actually move on. So what is next on the list? Murderers. All right. We're going to actually get into some stuff here concerning murderers. But the word for murderer is uh, phonius. It's P-H-O-N-E-U-S. Now, let me get the word phony, huh? I wonder, because we're going to see what this means. It says a murderer, a homicide. But the word phonious would be like trying to be something that you're not. You know, like I'm, I'm considered a good person, but really I'm a murderer. And we're going we're gonna to dig into this one. Exactly. So it says, all right, this is Strong's definition. I mean, this is the word, uh, let's see, it's G5406, okay, and that is phonious, <laughs> and it says a murderer, a homicide, this is Strong's definition, homicide, which does not necessarily imply, while it's a special term for a public bandit, a murderer. So it doesn't exactly imply, so you don't have to outright just murder someone in order to be a murderer. There are other ways of killing. When Adam and Eve partook of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and the Bible says that Satan was a murderer from the beginning, what was subject to Adam and Eve after they had partaken of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, they were they were they died. Okay, the, the Bible says that they would die. But if you really want to look at this in a clearer um, sense, they were murdered. Satan murdered them. Yep. He got them to eat of the fruit. And when they did, they were subject to death. He killed them. He killed them slowly. But this is why Jesus Christ came back to redeem. But Satan was a murderer from the beginning. And it did not begin with Cain and Abel. Yeah. It began with what went on with Adam and Eve. Yes, sir. But that seed of murder was planted in them. That's right. For Cain. Because why else would Cain kill his brother if it wasn't already there through Adam and Eve? Them being exposed to death. Exactly. Like Exactly. The devil took over from that very moment. So we're going to give some other examples of murder. Um, let's go to 2 Kings chapter 16 so we can see what some of these things are. One of them we already read, but I want to um, go into that a little bit more. All right, 2 Kings 16, we'll start at verse 1, and it says, In the 17th year of Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, uh, Ahaz, the son of Jotham, king of Judah, began to reign. Twenty years old was Ahaz when he began to reign, and reigned sixteen years in Jerusalem, and did not that which was right in the sight of the Lord his God, like David his father. So we understand here, that this is speaking of things that are not right in the sight of God. Look at verse 3. But he walked in the way of the kings of Israel, yea, and made his son to pass through the fire according to the abominations of the heathen, whom the Lord cast out from before the children of Israel. So he committed, um, you know, Moloch worship. He committed an abortion, all right? He took his child or he took children and put them on the hands of Moloch to pass through the fire. All right, so this tells us here that this is an abomination. All right, and then it says, verse 4, And he sacrificed uh, and burned incense 
in the high places and on the hills and under every green tree. Then Rezan, king of Assyria, and Pekah, the son of Ramalia, uh, king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to war, and they besieged Ahaz, but could not overcome him. So I don't really want to go into that part, but we understand two things, you know, that made him, uh, that did what they did. So he murdered children, sacrificing them unto Moloch. So now we go to 2 Kings 17, and we'll look at, uh, we'll start at verse 6. So 2 Kings 17 and verse 6. In the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Assyria, took Samaria and carried Israel away into Assyria and placed them in Halal and in Ahabor by the river of Gozan in the cities of the Medes. So understand, Israel couldn't be taken before. Remember, they couldn't be taken, but Israel eventually did lose partaking in what we just read. So you see, this is a, a valuable lesson America is about to learn as far as abortion is concerned. I'm sorry to stop. But the point is here is that, you know, it's no wonder that abortion is growing and women have their rights to choose and they feel like they're doing something great. That what you're seeing now is, well, it's funny how as women are becoming bigger and independent, killing their own children, 3,000 babies a day aborted in this country, that the economy is collapsing. Okay, that this country's already been bought and sold to foreign countries. We don't have time to get into that tonight. But let's just say America is about to pay a dear price for forsaking the God of the Bible. When values were stronger here, things were going well. But any man that will not be ruled by God will be ruled by tyrants. And this is just the way it is. All right, so in verse 7, and it says, For so it was that the children of Israel had sinned against the Lord, their God, which had brought them up out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and had feared other gods. So you see, they feared other gods. They weren't following the Lord. They feared those gods is why they worshiped them. So you won't worship anything that you don't fear. Right. And that's why fear of the Lord and believing that God is true will automatically make you fear him and obey him. Mm -hmm. Okay, so their fear went to other gods. And walked in the statutes of the heathen, whom the Lord cast out from before the children of Israel, and of the kings of Israel which they had made. And the children of Israel did secretly those things that were not right against the Lord their God. And they built them high places in all their cities, from the tower of the watchmen to the fenced city. So they were out building idols and building groves and things. And what does it say in verse 9? Israel um, secretly did those things that were not right against God. Going right back to John 3, Jesus said, Why people won't come to Jesus is because their deeds are evil. Verse 10, And they set them up images and groves in every high hill and under every green tree. And there they burnt incense in all the high places, as did the heathen, whom the Lord carried away before them and wrought wickedness and wrought um, wicked things to provoke the Lord to anger. And they served idols whereof and of the Lord had said unto them, Ye shall not do this thing. Yet the Lord testified against Israel and against Judah by all the prophets and by all the seers, saying, 
Turn ye from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes according to all the law which is commanded your fathers and which I sent to you by my servants, the prophets. So the Lord was always trying to correct his people from walking in these things. Another key point, if Satan managed to murder Adam and Eve by getting them to not follow God, but to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you turning people unto false religion, you sitting there with your mouth shut, not preaching the gospel, proves that you do not love your neighbor and you are murdering them. Because if Jesus is the truth, the way and the life, and you take people away from Jesus to serve other gods, you have murdered them, keeping them from the life of God. Mm -hmm. You are a murderer if you're preaching false doctrine. You are a murderer if you cling to your tradition and tell other people about them. If you raise your children not knowing Jesus Christ, you are a murderer. And let's just make that clear. So verse 14, notwithstanding, they would not hear, but harden their necks like to the neck of their fathers that did not believe in the Lord their God. And they rejected his statutes and his covenant that he made with their fathers and his testimonies, which uh, he testified against them. And they followed vanity and became vain and went after the heathen and were round about them concerning whom the Lord had charged them that they should not do like them. Mm -hmm. So they became proud in what they were doing. It's my right to choose. I'm proud to be a woman. I had an abortion. And I'm proud to be able to make that choice aside from men. So you got the Jezebel spirit linked in with murder, killing children, telling women that they're empowered by having a choice to murder their own child. So what choice does that baby have? Jesus told, not G, well, it was Jesus, but, you know, he was the God of the Old Testament, told Jeremiah, before I formed thee in the womb, I knew thee. Psalm 139 says that um, before I was formed, all of my members were written. So it's not a fetus. It's not an embryo. That's a baby. That's a life. That's a man or woman being grown up, okay, that you are killing. And I don't care what stage of it it is. Even with the scientists telling you it's a, it's a fetus or an embryo, you are a murderer. Pushing evolution to keep people away from the truth you are a murderer, okay? Anybody signing off on homosexuality and marriage is okay and all these things, you are a murderer, keeping them from the truth in Jesus, who is life. Verse 16, and they left all the commandments of the Lord their God and made them molten images, even two calves, and made a grove and worshiped all the host of heaven and served Baal or Baal. Baal is Nimrod, none other than Astaroth, Nimrod. He's the father of every religion. He started the sickle, moon, and star. So let your imagination run wild with that and what religions are in it. Okay, he began, he is Santa, he is this, he is that. If you look up Baal, he is the father of sun worship. He is the father of heliocentric worship. Okay, where we get the whole idea of the earth, but I'm not even going there tonight. Right. But the point is, is... They served Baal, aside from God, 17. And they caused their sons and daughters to pass through the fire and use divination and enchantments and sold them to do evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. So they were also murdering, aborting their children and doing things such as this. You're a murderer, period. 
And the only way to get that blood off your hands, you need to repent of what you did, receive Jesus Christ. That's right. Ask him to forgive us. You know, First John 1 and 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Right. So this is what you need to do. If you choose not to, then the lake of fire waits for you. Mm -hmm. And I'm not trying to tease people with that because I pray I don't go. But the fact of the matter is, is that I love you enough to tell you the truth. When people want to say there's no love in my message, that is love. I love them enough that they can rip off this mask that is showing them that they are righteous and show us how unrighteous we are, that we may seek the living God and his life to save us from eternal damnation. We're going to see another thing concerning murder, and then we're going to move on. So let's go to uh, Matthew 5. No, actually, it's 1 John 5 and 3. No, it's 1 John 3. Sorry. 1 John 3. Let's go to 1 John 3. <laughs> You're going to see another way to murder, to be considered one. Yeah. On the two of the topics that you talked about, about America and Eurocentric. Yeah. yeah. Um, they can look up Repent America and the NASA study. Yeah, uh, we did a study on, and I don't really want to link that with this, okay. you know, concerning it, but um, we did one on um, Beware of Science Falsely So Called in the Beginning. The Lord created the heavens and the earth, you know, so we're going to give. We give our perspective on what that is and what that's about. All right, so let's read. Uh, we'll start in verse uh, 7. So this is 1 John 3 and verse 7. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. So that is clear. You know, um, I know some people will say, well, all men sin. The Lord is slowly expunging sin from us if we let him work. Mm -hmm. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. So why did Jesus Christ come? That he may destroy the works of the devil. That, And that's why David says, search me out, search my reins, see if there be any wrong thing or iniquity in me. So that way, when the Lord pulls it out, you have the devil expunged from your soul because Christians can have demons. Christians can have residue left from the world even after being born again that the sanctification process has to take place and take from us. Right. Verse 9, whosoever is born of God does not commit sin. So let's make this clear. I just said that Christians can have demons. Born of God is what Paul was talking about concerning in, in uh, Galatians 4 and 19, or when he says, I labor with you in birth again till Christ be formed in you. Mm -hmm. As we go through this experience, Jesus Christ is being formed in us. Okay, we're not cursing or lying anymore. Jesus has our tongue. Mm -hmm. We're walking the right way. Jesus is guiding our steps. Mm -hmm. When we start to have a heart for Jesus, he's controlling these areas that we may think that we may see, that we may speak like Jesus Christ, and that we may walk, most importantly, as he walked. So this is a process. So when he says whoever is born of God does not commit sin, it means that 
you have already been, Christ has been fully formed in you. Mm -hmm. So when someone is born, it is not going through labor as we are going through in the born again experience. That means that Christ has been fully formed. That means that Christ, the Spirit of God, governs you from head to toe. So now you truly are like Christ, being full in the Spirit. Right. But when it says, whosoever is born of God does not commit sin, that means Christ fully formed in you. Jesus Christ is the hope of our glory. Okay? But unless Jesus, if, if Jesus Christ is still being worked out in us, then sin is still being slowly expunged from our walks, from our lives. But when it says you're born of God, that means Christ is fully formed in you. Exactly. And what does it say about it? Whosoever is born of God does not commit sin. For his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. Okay, so that is Christ fully formed in you, verse 10. In this the children of God are manifest. So the children of God are manifest in birthing God. And the children of the devil, whosoever doeth not righteous, is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. So you got two things here. A sinner is not of God, right. neither him that doesn't love his brother. And everyone would say, I love people. I love my brother. I bring them cookies. We go out to baseball games, football games. I'm always looking out and seeing how they're doing. Guess what? You don't love your brother. Verse 11. For this is the message that ye heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one, and slew his brother, and wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. So because Cain was evil, his own work, he wanted to kill his brother through process of elimination, hoping that God would accept him as right. God told Cain what he desired from him. He said, give me what I ask, and you will be accepted. And that goes for every unbeliever, everyone that's involved in everything going on that we read tonight. All you've got to do is give the Lord what he asks, and your sins will be forgiven if you turn from them, and the Lord will live in you. So he says, um, for uh, 13, Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. And it tells you there. If you're not preaching the gospel, if you're ashamed of Jesus Christ, if you're not doing the things that are pertaining to the kingdom of God to help to edify, to correct the brethren, if you know someone homosexual, even a member of your family, and you won't tell them the truth concerning Jesus, you are a murderer. You may welcome them with open arms and give them warm hugs and fuzzy kisses, but you are a murderer. Yep. You are a murderer kissing your child or your friend. All right, you're a murderer with a deep, warm hug. All right, because if you believe in life and you believe in Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is life to not preach him, to not tell others about him. You are a murderer. That's right. And what does it say? No murderer will inherit the kingdom of God. So let's Amen. move on. We're going on to the next. 
The next is Whoremonger, so this one won't be too long. That's pretty much self-explanatory. And um, the word, the number for the word is G4205. And the word is pornos, like pornos. The same way people would write pornos, like I got some porno videos or whatever that they would say, that's what the word is. So this is where you get any type of foul sexual activity. Anything that you see on a porno, and I don't have any, but I remember in my day, I knew what some of the things were that they did before I found the Lord. If you're a Christian with pornography, you need to throw that mess out because that is not of the Spirit of God. If you got a problem with it and you don't have any videos, then you need to have something put on your phone to where you cannot pull it up. You'd be surprised at how many children today in the education system, you got 12-year-old boys watching porn, talking about it all day. And this is why the devil made technology accessible for speed and convenience it's because if you give a beast, okay, something that will help increase his uh, iniquity or rebellion to God, then this is perfect. Mm-hmm. Because what is he going to do with it? You know, you give a you give a murderer iron, all right, to weld or teach him how to weld. And what do you think he's going to make? He's going to make knives and guns and you know shields and everything for war. But if you give someone that is good, you know, how to weld metal or do whatever. They'll probably make some nice jewels or something, or maybe, you know, something that would be beneficial to others. Right. But you're not going to make weapons of destruction just to kill. So this is what happens when you give children or you give beasts, people of this beastly nature and sin, you know, things that are easily accessible. They're going to go to where their nature points. Yep. Where their appetites point. All right, so the definition. A man who prostitutes his body... Uh, to another's lust for hire, a male prostitute, a man who indulges in unlawful sexual intercourse, a fornicator. Okay, so this is anybody that is in sin. But remember, this doesn't just apply to men, you know, because, well, a whoremonger is a man, but a whore is a woman. But it all goes under whoremongering, Mm -hmm. okay, period. But you're doing any of this stuff, a fornicator, you are into adultery, you're into any kind of foul activity, those things are not of God, period. All right, so it says to sell akin to the base. Okay, so this even means, like, even you are a prostitute, you're a pimp. If you're a pimp, you're a whoremonger. Yeah, soliciting your own children. Right, exactly, all that stuff. He calls it base. Oh, man, it even goes farther. It Mm -hmm. says uh, male prostitute, um, that is, by analogy, to debauchy, like debauchery. A fornicator, whoremonger. I mean, it makes pretty clear what this is, but we can touch on a couple of scriptures. We won't have to do many. Let's go to 1 Timothy 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Start at verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, which is um, our hope, unto Timothy, my own son, in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God, our Father, in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now remember, Paul's correcting Timothy, who's a young minister. Mm -hmm. As I besought thee to abide at Ephesus, 
when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which minister uh, questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith so do. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart, which is, you know, selflessness, out of a pure heart and of a good conscience, and of faith unfeigned, uh, from which some have swerved, uh, have made aside unto vain jangling. So there are some people, he's saying here, that have swerved from the faith because of vain jangling, things that you're proud of, things that you find vanity in, things that will turn you away from God. Verse 7, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane and murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men-stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be anything that is contrary to sound doctrine. So what the Bible is making clear here is there are many things that will turn people from God. Whoremongering is on this list. And if you notice, it's very similar to the list of Revelation 21 and verses 7 and 8. Okay, so the point here is that a lot of people will turn away from that which is righteous. I want to tell people that are out there following the law of Moses, when the Bible talks about that, that the strength of sin is the law, and Paul mentions that when, um, when I hear of the law, sin revives in me. Okay, because the law could never make you righteous. It is God's will and it is God's nature that we have today, which is of the spirit. That's what makes you natural before the Lord. It makes you um, cleansed. Because it becomes of your nature that you don't commit sexual sin. Your desires will change because you know that these things hurt God. And it will change us from the inside out. So I don't really need to get on whoremongering too much. Let's go to Hebrews 13. And I think from there we'll probably move on. But Hebrews 13. And uh, let's just start at verse 1. But it's going to mention something here that we've already talked about really. But I just want to shed a little light on this. Hebrews 13 and 1, let brotherly love continue. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained strangers unawares. Remember them that are in bonds as bound with them, I mean, have entertained angels unawares. Remember them that are in bonds as bound with them, and uh, them which suffer adversity as being on um, yourselves uh, also in the body. Marriage is honorable in all, and the, and the bed undefiled. But whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. So you see, the marriage bed is undefiled because it's in a holy estate before God. Mm -hmm. If you're committing any of the sexual acts that we have mentioned tonight, your bed is defiled because whoremongers are not welcome. And the Bible tells you what these acts are. That's why when it says male temple prostitutes, what do you think a male temple prostitute can offer you? Sodomy. Sodomy, yeah. What else can he give you? He can give himself out to hire for a woman, but if he's a male temple prostitute, he's a homosexual. 
But if you're committing homosexual acts or any acts of sodomy, which are oral or anal sex, marriage can't save you. The marriage bed is to be undefiled. Yep. So if you're committing whoremongering, we already gave the definition. The word for whoremongering is pornos. That ought to be enough to tell you. Mm -hmm. Anything in porn is not of God, and God will judge. And if you think that I'm kidding, one day you will believe when you're standing before the Lord and end up in the lake of fire. That's all I have to offer. Jesus said that one of the things, let me just skip, let me just go real quick. Let's go to Matthew 5 and verse 27. Then I think we can move on from there. All right, Matthew 5, um, verse 27, and it says, Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. So what a man thinketh, as the Bible says, is he. All right, now there are ways to look at beautiful women. I'm not saying you won't be attracted to one. What I'm saying is the Lord knows the motives behind your heart. Staring and thinking lustfully, you have already committed the act. Because someone of God, you can admire, she's beautiful. You know, she's nicely shaped. You know, she's very proportioned for a woman. She's a beautiful woman. But when you start going into, man, look at them hips. Man, I, would, I know what I would do with that. When you start thinking like that, you've already committed the act. So that means whether you have touched them or not, you're not supposed to look at someone's wife that way. You're not supposed to look at any woman that way. Exactly. Verse 29, And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out, and cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. Now, the Lord is not saying to cut out your eyeball, but he's saying, if that is what it took, if you've got such a problem with your sin. If that is what it took, that would be worth it other than these, other than this leg of fire. He's saying if you can't keep your eyes focused on Jesus, then get rid of those things that you know that are against Jesus. Throw out your porn collection. Throw out things that you know make you lust. Stop having people stay over your house late at night. If you know that you've got a problem with such things, you need to be able to away, get away from that in order so you won't sin. Verse 30, And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that of not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. So he's saying, hey man, if you got a problem with that, you got a problem with stealing or feeling or anything else, man, it'd be better for you to cut your hand off than to end up in this lake of fire that the Bible is talking about. So he's making it clear that's how serious it is. Of course, we have the Spirit of God that can change us from the inside out, changing our nature. This is why I want to tell people in Sharia law, Muslims, cutting a man's hand off doesn't change his heart from being a thief. He can still be a thief. Cutting a man's hand off ain't going to do that. It's still in his heart. But if a man is shown through the righteousness of Jesus Christ why sin is wrong, why it's wrong to take that which is not yours. And through grace, 
You learn to understand why things are wrong. That man is no longer a thief because he has taken on the nature of Jesus Christ. All right, verse 31. It hath been said, whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. That's Deuteronomy 24. But Jesus says, but I say unto you, that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, that Greek word for fornication there is pornia, which means pretty much everything whoremongering means, all types of sexual activity and things that are unright. Um, and so except for fornication, except for pornia, causeth her to commit adultery, and whosoever shall marry her, that is divorced, committeth adultery. So God means for things to be whole. He means for things to be right. But if there is fornication, which is, you know, you may have an undercover brother. You may have a, you know, what do they call it? Down low brother yeah. that you married that is into this. And he might be dealing with men on the side and, and you know, and you. If you find out, saving for the cause of fornication, you can get divorced. If there's any type of unrighteousness or a husband throws away his wife, or any type of sexual whatever, God is saying this is the only time he will permit that and death. If there's anything outside of that, then those things have to be worked out in salt with the Lord. But you need to hear from him to know what is righteous. Okay, we're not talking about what you didn't know. Now that you know, it is time to, to put these things into play. So whoremongers will not inherit the kingdom of God. So, right, you can go out and divorce, but if it's not meeting the conditions, you are still sinning and still committing adultery, fornication. You are whoremongering. You're doing everything still the same. So it is according to God's word is what makes the difference. Let's move on. The next one is... Right, the next one is sorcerers. Okay, so this is, um, let's look up the word for sorcerers. Uh, let's see. All right, the word here is, um, well, it's G5332. Okay, that's the number. And the word is pharmacias or pharmacias. Sounds a lot like pharmaceuticals or pharmacy, huh? Mm -hmm. All right, so it says, one who prepares and uses magical remedies, a sorcerer. Then it says in Strong's definition, a pharmacon, a drug that is spell-giving, portion, a druggist, pharmacist, or poisoner, that is, by extension, a magician, a sorcerer. Okay, so this has several meanings. But, you know, again, you know, this goes into the whole medical world. Okay, why well, they said, and, and it's funny how they mention drugs that give it spells. You don't think there may be people in the world that know this? I think there are people that are very aware of what they're doing. Prescribing drugs instead of believing in the power of God. And if you're doing it for witchcraft or whatever reasons, to have children maybe demon infested, calling it ADHD, bipolar, and all this other stuff, when they injected the kid from the beginning, okay, these things need to be dealt with in Jesus Christ. So a pharmacon is a sorcerer. That's what the Greek word means. Someone that uses drugs or deals in spells. So we're going to give a few scriptures for this and then we're going to move on. But 
Don't think for one second why you see the caduceus symbol in the medical world, which means, you know, the serpents, two serpents around the pole. It means to protect thieves, liars, and gamblers. It's a very ancient symbol going back to Babylon. Some even refer to it as the staff of Hermes. Who is Hermes? None other than Baal, none other than Nimrod. Okay, so it's the same thing going on. There is always a spiritual component behind everything that is done. So from here, okay, uh, let's go to, oops, I'm supposed to get there. Let's go to Deuteronomy 18. Deuteronomy 18, we'll start at verse 1. The Bible will tell you about the things you're not supposed to go into. If you get involved in sorcery, those people are going in the lake of fire as well. Deuteronomy 18, we'll start at verse 10, and it says, There shall not be found... No, let's start at verse 9. When thou art come into the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, thou shalt not learn to do after these, after the abominations of those nations. There shall not be found among you any one that maketh his son or his daughter to pass through the fire. That's one. Or that useth divination. Now, divination means a divining spirit. If you look up the word in Greek, it means python. Where you, this is a fortune teller. This is someone that reads palms and gets into all that other stuff. Now, a lot of people have found some predictions to be right, but the Bible is making clear you have gone to a servant of Satan trying to get information. And if you let Satan predict your destiny over you, chances are it will come to pass. But we are not supposed to be dealing with them because this is not of God. This is another spirit. There are two sources of power that, that exist. One is from God and the other is from Satan. And there is no middle ground. Now, I know a lot of New Agers will tell you, I have power. I have spirit guides. I listen to St. Germain. I listen to this one. I listen to that one. Lady Nada. Whomever they're into, it doesn't matter. Spirit guides are demons. They are not of God. I know enough about the New Age to tell anybody, whether it's Jay-Z Knight, whether it's anybody out there, you are being deceived. Madam Blavatsky and Alice Bailey dealt in this, and Alistair, Alistair Crowley, they have all lost their minds messing around with this stuff. Okay, so you're not supposed to deal with fortune telling. Stay away from it. And palm readers... Or an observer of times. An observer of times is someone that deals with astrology. When people are asking you, what's your sign? What's this? What's that? Stay away from it. It's not of God. Okay? Those are people that look to the stars to try and tell fortunes and read signs. Then there is an enchanter. An enchanter is a hypnotist. So anyone involved in hypnotism or trying to turn people into stuff like that, you need to stay away from People telling you repeat something five times until you believe it. Enchantment even goes through music, so you got to be careful. If you hear enough of negative things in music, it's no wonder you got wannabe gangsters out there. You got kids wanting to be Lil Wayne. You got everybody wanting to be Beyonce. This is what enchantment does. You watch it enough, the music plays in your ears enough. Sooner or later, subconsciously, subconsciously, you absorb it and you receive it, and that becomes your consciousness. All right, so you need to stay away from all that stuff. Anybody wants to learn more, go to soundandtrumpetministries.com. We did a teaching called The Nature of the Beats. You guys look that up, but it will tell you how the music interferes with man. 
All right, then it is, or a witch, someone that casts spells, or a charmer, someone that gives you things like, well, here's a lucky rabbit's foot, lucky bracelet, lucky penny. Beware, because those things are usually demonically charged items that hang with people. Now, I want to make this clear, too. Derek Prince told the story about how one time he dealt with a woman that was um, involved in um, enchantment. But um, her daughter was very sick. She went to a witch doctor. The witch doctor gave her a necklace with a little locket on it that told her as long as she wears this, her, her illnesses will go away. Now, there are many people that have probably experienced this, so I want people to understand yeah, your child might in fact have gotten well. But later, the Lord told the woman there was something wrong with this. So she went into the necklace, grabbed the locket, opened it. And there was a notice in here saying that Satan will keep your child well until your, her soul burns in hell. Okay, so with that being said, the woman took it, threw it away. The child ended up being healed in the Lord or whatever, but... That was a lock that she went to a witch doctor to try and get her child well, didn't even realize she was damning her. Mm -hmm. So Satan does have the power to heal, only to bring you into greater damnation. Right. God heals and makes you whole, filling you with his spirit that leads unto life. All right, so that's what a charmer would do, or a consultant with familiar spirits. That would be a medium. If you guys ever seen the movie Ghost, what Nikki Whoopi Goldberg does, you know, when she was talking about consorting with the dead, getting guides, like a spirit guide. Someone that receives from the spiritual realm, they may get some revelation and tell you things about your life. Well, they're seeking that power through Satan or demons. That does not come from God. God tells us, stay away from them. And a familiar spirit is a spirit that hangs with your family while you're, you know, while you're young. And it can tell you things about your life. And this is why when people get visits and they start talking about my mom came to visit me last night and she was telling me all about my life, that's a familiar spirit. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 9 and 5 that the dead know not nothing or anything. So there's nothing that a dead person can do to come over on the other side and come to you. Right. Then there is a um, familiar spirit or a wizard. That's a male witch. Or a necromancer. Necromancers are people who consort with the dead. So you need to stay away from that because according to the Bible, you cannot consort with the dead. You are dealing with familiar spirits that will turn you on to sin. Now remember this happened to Samuel. When Samuel died, Saul didn't wait on the Lord. He went to a witch of Endor to receive information. I think that's, um, what is that, 1 Samuel 30? I think it's 1 Samuel 30, but Saul went to a witch of Endor to try and get a revelation because God didn't answer him. God told him, stay away from it. He went to it only to proclaim his very own death when he should have stayed away from it and waited on the Lord. 28. It's 28. Okay, so it says, For all that do these things are an abomination unto the Lord, and because of these abominations, the Lord thy God doth drive them out from before thee. Okay, so the Bible makes clear that we're not supposed to be dealing in that stuff. Okay, so that is what a sorcerer would get into these. Let's go to Revelation 18 because I want to bring up a quick point. And then we'll move on to the next one because we don't really have time. But I don't care if you're a drug dealer. Okay, you are a sorcerer. 
I don't care what they look like today. Even if you got a doctor prescribing medicines and drugs to try and heal Ill- illness, you cannot drug the body into good health. No. You never deal with the demon directly that the person has. People need deliverance and have demons cast out and to be healed by the power of Jesus Christ. All those drugs do is get you hooked on more drugs. And then they give you more. It's the practice of medicine. These people are witches. And this is who you go to for your health. I'm not talking about getting a broken arm fixed, even though the Lord and his power can take care of such things. We read this all the time of God's healing. And I've witnessed it. You know, I've been a part of it in Jesus Christ. But the point I'm bringing up is, you know, you look at this. I mean, this is just talking about drugs. Trying to get people on. So... Let's go to uh, Revelation 18, and uh, this is talking about the destruction of Babylon. You look at verse 21, and it says, And the mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and cast it into the sea, saying, Thus, with violence, shall that great city Babylon be thrown down and shall be found no more at all. And the voice of the harpers, the musicians, the pipers, the trumpeters, uh, shall be heard no more in thee, and no craftsman of whatsoever craft he be shall be found any more in thee, and the sound of the millstone shall be heard no more at all in thee, and the light of a candle shall shine no more in all in, at all in thee, and the voice of the bridegroom, which is Jesus Christ, and of the bride shall oh no, not this one, sorry, shall be heard no more in thee. Well, that is kind of talking about Jesus. And um, and his people that, you know, there'll be no more preaching the gospel or bringing people unto the truth. People won't want it. This place will be God forsaken mm-hmm. for thy merchants were of the great men of the earth and by thy sorceries were all nations deceived. So you see, it's no wonder a lot of people don't believe Jesus. They're taking drugs, popping pills, you know, even alcohol can be a part of this. Even taking drugs, oh, I need a little marijuana, I need a little weed because I can't sleep because I'm dealing with cancer. Get healed in Jesus Christ. Okay, believe that he can heal because he can. But all these people want to take little drugs to slip off. You read in the book of Enoch, these things were taught by the fallen angels to teach man how to go into you know unconscious states and receive um, information from the spirit world. These chemtrails being sprayed around, these are all a part of the sorceries that the enemy is using to deceive. And this is why the Bible tells us that we have to keep our temples clean. We are the temple of the living God. And we need to wear our full armor of God in Ephesians 6, that we won't be affected by these things. All right? Trust in the Lord and in the power of his might, that he may heal us from all sicknesses. You know, I wouldn't have believed that the Lord could heal either until I laid hands on someone I knew that was HIV positive, that the Lord had healed. Okay, so I know that the power of God is real. Don't listen to these lying scientists. Trust in the Lord, get full of the Spirit, and believe in His power. And that is all that we need to go on. Amen. So I'm going to move on here. Let's go to our, the next one is idolaters. So let's go to 1 Samuel 15 and verse 22. Now, idolatry, I believe, on this list will be the biggest thing that will bring more people to hell or to this lake of fire than anything else because it's so deceptive. Mm -hmm. Where back then, in those days, they dealt with images, 
Today, we deal with imaginations, and being caught up in your imagination can lead you to hell. Because if your imagination is against God, then it's against God. It needs to be changed. Where did I say go? 1 Samuel 15. All right, 1 Samuel 15. I just want to shed light on this story. Uh, The Lord told Samuel, who was a prophet, to King Saul, that you need to wipe out your enemies who are the Amorites. Okay? Uh, No, the Amalekites. That you are to wipe them out. He wanted to get rid of them. So, the Lord told Saul, I mean Samuel to tell Saul, don't bring back anything from their side. Just go forward, you know, destroy them, destroy anyone associated with them. You know, the Amalekites were a tribe of giants. Mm -hmm. Okay? So they weren't even supposed to be around. He said, destroy them, obey him, and God would be pleased. So what Saul did was he went and brought back the king of of the Amalekites as a trophy and then brought back some of the sheep and goats, the spoils of war of the Amalekites. So when Samuel heard this, he was very upset and he told Saul, why did you bring them back? You have disobeyed God. And And Saul said to Samuel, I did obey God. I destroyed my enemy. And I brought this stuff back. And Samuel said, you did not obey God because you brought this stuff back and God told you not to. So this is what we're going to address right here in verse 22. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? So Saul brought these things back, these sacrifices, thinking, man, God's really going to be pleased because now we got more sheep to sacrifice. So Samuel is asking Saul, since when has a burnt offering that God delighteth in that you didn't obey his voice? Do you think that bringing God something like your personal time in church, you know, and, and having a perfect attendance and singing songs and fasting and prayer and doing all this stuff is the same as obedience to God? Do you really believe that they're the same thing? So this is what Paul's trying to bring up. Then he said, Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken uh, than the fat of rams. So, you know, aside from everything else, obedience is that which is necessary. This is why I say a lot of people are going to hell with idolatry. The reason you don't obey God is because you love self. Makes you an idolater. The reason why you don't obey God is because you're running off with your friends doing things that that don't even know the Lord, which makes you an idolater. The reason why you can't get to God and have a relationship with him because you're working 8, 10, 12 hours a day, you're an idolater to your job. The reason why you have forsaken God for evolution is because you're an idolater. You thought that you had learned something new. Idolatry all points back to, well, I married a wife. Remember they made that excuse in Luke 14. Oh, I bought a vineyard. I married a wife. What was the problem is why they didn't go to the marriage supper? They Idolatry. They loved even Adam turning against Eve or turning against the Lord. He didn't correct Eve when she was wrong. He partook of the fruit. Adam loved what God gave Adam more than Adam loved God. And that's why unless you love the Lord with your heart, mind, and soul and love love your neighbor as yourself, you are an idolater. Idolatry was the main reason why the children of Israel ended up in captivity and God took his hands off of them. 
Now, this can even be concerning holidays. You go to Jeremiah 10, because we don't have time today. We do have a video um, on SoundlandTrumpetMinistries.com about Easter. I believe that's what it's called. I can't remember the exact title. But it's concerning Easter, and it's spelled Ishtar, I-S-H-T-A-R. But you guys can look that up, all right? Jeremiah 10 uh, talks about Christmas, talks about how the customs and the imaginations or the traditions of the people are vain, that they will cut a tree in the forest, dress it, and do all those things that they wanted. That's idolatry. The Bible spoke against Christmas, is totally against it, and many people love to please their family, their friends. They love to have a nice time in the Christmas spirit, which is not God's spirit. It is really the birthday of Tammuz, which has nothing to do with God. Okay, and you cannot Christianize it, because the Bible says if the foundations be destroyed, then what can the righteous do? Telling you straight out that it is idolatry. Okay, so we're going to hear what Samuel has to say concerning this. Go to Jeremiah 44, Jeremiah 7. They talk about Easter. It's got nothing to do with Easter. They're talking about the wife and mother of Nimrod, Semiramis, the Statue of Liberty. Idolatry can even turn to patriotism. I love my country. I'm a Marine. I'm this, I'm that, so I go and kill. I'm proud of my country. I wear the eagles on my chest. And I have military all in my family. But you know what? For those who have chosen those things over God, and you believe that killing is right because of patriotism, you believe that obeying the laws of this physical land that so go against God because you're a patriot and you love America, you are an idolater, and you will go to the lake of fire if Jesus Christ is not your head and you don't repent of those sins. Okay? Verse 23. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. And like I said, this can be husband and wife. It doesn't matter. Okay? It's idolatry because you have chosen that thing over God. It can be your pastor. It can even be a Bible. It can be any statue, anything that you think is so great. Okay, you can be an idolater. All right, so let's go to, um, but that's what's talking about. So when you rebel against God for any reason, it is the same as witchcraft. Okay, I think that's what it says. Yes, the same of witchcraft and stubbornness is iniquity and idolatry. So for any reason that you don't obey God, you are an idolater because there is something drawing you away from what God has called us to have. So um, 2 uh, Corinthians, well, no, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and 5 says that um, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing in, um, into subjection every thought to the obedience of Christ. So if you are not obedient unto the Lord, you are an idolater. It is the same thing. So we can move on. I mean, you know, idols are all through this Bible. You guys can read them in your spare time. It even talks about uh, the word for idolater. I gave the um, meaning. Did I give the meaning for idolatry yet? Yeah. It's G1496. And the word is idolatress. 
and it says a worshiper of false gods and idolater used of any one even christian participant in any way in the worship of the heathen especially one who attends their sacrificial feast and eats um, um, of the remains of offered victims a covetous man as a worshiper of mammon so that tells you right there that anyone that worships anything outside of God, you are an idolater. And this is what's going to lead people to hell. All right. The last uh, last one of all. I think that's the last one. Liars. The last one is liars. Okay. So uh, the Bible talks many times. Uh, you go to. Let's go to Titus 1. I think we can probably sum it all up there, but if you go to 1 Kings chapter 22, it's a very interesting story about lying spirits. It talked about how one king was not liked by Israel. He wanted to rebel against another um, king, and God, the guy sought a, um, a prophet after he done killed so many people in Israel, this corrupt king Ahab. He went to Micaiah the prophet to try and get some information, and Micaiah said, the Lord will deal with you. Like in other words, and he said, I told you Micaiah doesn't like me. He hates me. But Micaiah followed along those lines of prophets, just like Elijah and Elisha. So anyway, Micaiah said, um, you know, all right, I'll seek the Lord and see what he will do. Well, the Lord told Micaiah to send forth lying spirits to Ahab to make him think that he was going to conquer and survive. Okay, but Ahab didn't survive. He was killed in that battle. But what I'm saying is when the Bible talks about the strong delusion uh -huh. and how they will believe a lie in, in um, Second um, Thessalonians chapter 2, it's because they receive not the love of the truth. Right. If you don't receive Jesus Christ, you're a liar. Yeah. If you don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God, you're a liar. If you teach false doctrine, you are a liar, okay, that is outside of Jesus Christ. So anything that goes outside of the Lord is an is a liar. What's that verse? Let God be true and every man be a liar. You believe in evolution, you're a liar. Yep. I don't care what it is. Anything that is not of Jesus Christ and his true doctrine. If you believe that Mary is, um, you know, over Jesus and she stayed immaculately, you know, she stayed immaculate, never had children, that she is above Jesus, you are a liar period, all right, because we proved all those things false in the past, so we'll go to Titus uh, 1, and we'll start at verse 7, I got to get there, too busy running my mouth, <laughs> no, but these things have got to be brought forth, because we have to worship God in spirit and in truth, and so if, it, if Jesus Christ really is our father and we know his word and we're not telling people about what can cast them into the lake of fire then we don't really love them exactly all right so we'll start at titus 1 and 7 so it says for a bishop he must be blameless as a steward of god not self-willed not soon angry nor given to wine nor striker nor given to filthy lucre but a lover of hospitality a lover of good men sober just holy, temperate, holding fast a faithful word as he hath been uh, taught, 
that he may be able to sound doctrine, both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. Gainsayers are people who speak against God's word. So we have to be sound. A bishop is like a pastor. You have to be sound in doctrine that you may be able to convince other people of the truth of God. Verse 10. For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially of they of the circumcision. So beware of those in the church, beware of those in the belief, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not, for filthy lucre's sake. So for money. Uh, one of themselves, um, even a prophet of their own, uh, said, The Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. This witness is true. Wherefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. Cretans are Greeks, but they're also like Gentiles. So, you know, people that are outside of the truth, anyone that's promoting false doctrine or anything, they are liars. Worldly people by nature are liars. Mm -hmm. The most honest worldly person is a liar because if Jesus Christ says he is the truth and you believe not, you are a liar. Yep. You are given into a strong delusion because you don't want the truth. That's okay, right. so anyone that is not of Jesus Christ is a liar. Lying is bad enough. We've all been lied to and we've all lied to others. But as David said in Psalm 139, you need to know him because if he's everywhere and he's all-knowing and all-powerful, there's no getting around him. So you may as well confess your sins before Jesus so he can be faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness so these sins will not lay to the, our charges. So let's go to Revelation 19 real quick and we can conclude. You don't want to fool around with God. God will have you think you're in the truth the whole time. And you giving over to lies because you receive not to know him. That's right. You don't want to mess with God. No, you do not because he's also a consuming fire. Exactly. All right, Revelation 19. We're going to read straight through these guys only because it puts more on the lake of fire and who will be in there. Right. Revelation 19 and 1, and it says, And after these things I heard a great voice of much people in heaven say, Hallelujah, as in the Greek, hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. For true the righteous are, are his judgments, for he hath judged the great whore which did corrupt the earth uh, with her fornication and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. Now this great whore of Babylon is a city and it's a religion. Okay, so people need to understand it's a government and religion. If you've been deceived into believing all this other stuff, then you need to know that, you know, you are a part of this whore. You have drunk of the wine of the fornication of this harlot, believing the lies. That's right. Verse 4, And the four and twenty elders and four beasts fell down and worshipped God that sat on the throne, saying, Amen, Alleluia. And the voice came out of the throne, saying, Praise our God, all ye his servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Remember, omnipotent means all-knowing, okay? 
So that's the thing that we need to recognize. All right. No, it's actually all powerful. So sorry, all powerful. Verse uh, 7. Let us be glad and uh, rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the lamb is come and his wife hath made herself ready. So who is his wife? Anyone that is not anything that we talked about tonight other than righteous. Yeah. Anyone that is not an idolater, a fornicator, or this or that. One who receives God and his spirit and lives like Christ. This is the bride that have made herself ready. Right. What does that mean? She could have chosen not to. Uh, verse 8. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteous of saints. And he saith unto me, Right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are a true saying of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him, and he said unto me, See thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So right away, you can't worship angels. No. This, this angel was scared that John got down to worship him, and he said, do it not. I am your fellow brother. A real angel, a messenger of God, will turn you to Jesus Christ and not unto himself. Right. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. This is Jesus Christ. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name was called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, and with it... He should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. So this is when Jesus comes back to take vengeance on those who are not righteous. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And that is not bragging, that is just fact. Yep. 17. And I saw an angel standing, and he cried with a loud voice, saying, To all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God, that he may eat the flesh of kings, and that the flesh of captains, and the flesh of mighty men, and the flesh of horses, and them that sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. So everyone we named on the list in, in verse 18, this is the world that has come to fight against God. And Jesus Christ is going to annihilate them. Yep. Verse 19. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and the armies gathered together to make war with him that sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken and with him. So the beast is the Antichrist. The false prophet is the head of false religion. His spirit is in the world today. So this is the spirit of Antichrist that would turn anybody against God. Now the Lord had just come and he annihilated them. This is the future. But it says, and I saw the beast, which is the Antichrist, that will run the world until the coming of Jesus Christ and the kings of the earth that follow him and their armies gathered together to make war against him 
that sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, uh, with which he deceived them that had received the mark um, of the beast, and them that worshipped his image. So this goes back to Revelation 13. For those who received the mark of the beast, they are all in this company and worship the image of the beast. Those both were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. All right, so Revelation 20, and I'm going to finish. Uh... Yeah, I've got to zip through this, unfortunately. It's 15 verses. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having a key of, of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon. So an angel came down and laid hold of Satan, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. This will be known as the millennial reign of Christ when Jesus Christ comes back. This isn't the end. This is when Jesus comes to show the whole world who he is. He's only coming to show the whole world that, hey, this is how I meant for the world to be run. He's going to rule with a rod of iron. means he's not going to tolerate any nonsense. All right? Everything will be ruled righteously. Mm -hmm. All right, so it says, And cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him, and set a seal upon him, that uh, he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years should be fulfilled, and after that he must be loosed a little season. And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither the image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. So, again, you know, these are people that were beheaded for the word of God that had not received the mark. This is telling us that we have to go through as fellow believers. All right? Because this is what John is seeing. Verse 5. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death have no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. So it's making clear that if you're a part of this first resurrection, the second death, which is the lake of fire, does not apply to you. If you are raised with Christ, that means that you have stayed off the list that we have read tonight. And God is lifting you to rule with him. That's right. Verse 7. And when the thousand years were expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. Mm -hmm. So they're actually, these Gentile countries and nations are going to rebel once again because Satan's going to deceive them. They're going to go against Israel, which is God's people. And we're going to hear what's going to happen to them. And they went up uh, on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about. 
and the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. So God is going to destroy anyone that comes against his people who are Israel, and the church are under adoption of Israel. Verse 10, And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Can you imagine? This is what was meant for the devil and his angels. Verse 11, And I saw a great white horse, and him that sat on it, uh, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place uh, for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of these things, of those things, which were written in the books according to their works. So notice there is a book that will be opened, and then there is the book of life. Mm -hmm. So your book is going to be opened before a righteous and everlasting judge. So if we are involved in idolatry or everything that you've done in your life will be from chapter to chapter, and the only way to have this expunged is to have Jesus Christ be your Lord. Okay, accept him as your Lord and Savior, turn from sin and, and partake in his goodness and let the Spirit indwell you and you will stay off this book. But see, all of our books will be open and before God. So we need to know that we need to make this right. Verse 13. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. So for those who might have drowned in their lifetime, dead at sea, dead at war, foolish and can't swim, all that stuff, and people that were um, in death, that were in death. Okay, so we know that death is the Greek word thanatos, which is a place and it's a state. It's a being. Okay, guys ever heard of the Grim Reaper? Well, the Grim Reaper is going to turn them people that died over to the Lord to be judged. Okay, those who death had control over, all right, well, now that my reign is over with, I don't have authority over them anymore. I'm handing them over to the one true God. So even death submits itself to Jesus Christ. Just to give you some understanding, in hell, people that died in sin, in these sins that we read, that went into hell, they're all going to be delivered up. Death and hell say, all right, well, we can't control you anymore. You're going to God to be judged. So hell is not the lake of fire. Okay, we need to make that clear. Death is not the lake of fire. That's why the lake of fire is called the second death. Because for those who died, that hell, that death had control over, they're being turned over. And then you got hell, which is a holding tank, turning people over. So now they're all going before the Lord to be judged. That's right. And then it says, verse 14, And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Okay, so that makes it clear that death and hell are living entities that had dominion over man. They're going into the lake of fire to be no more because those who live in Christ will live forever. Verse 15, And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. 
So that's something that we need to recognize. The only way to get into the book of life and to stay in it is to pursue Jesus Christ. Because when God is done with you, the only place for you is this lake of fire. That's right. And when it says it has torment and you burn day and night, you won't be able to sleep. You won't be able to breathe hardly. I mean, you know, this is a terrible state. For God to do this means that he had to try with you all of your life and you called him a sucker. You called him a fool. Anyone who believes in Jesus Christ is a fool is what you said. So you had to mock him. And most unbelievers look at us. 30, 40, 50, 60 years. Some may live to 100 with God's grace, living in sin. Uh And God has preserved your life this long, pleading with you every day, and you would not receive it. So what is left for you is a lake of fire and brimstone, which is the second death, which is the true death, that your spirit dieth in torment, never knowing God. Now I want to ask anyone out here listening, is that worth it? Why wait to die to find out if this is true? Repent of your ways and turn to Jesus that you may be made whole, that you may live with him in eternity, because that is the true existence of all things. And I'm telling you guys this in love. When I say this to you, I am speaking to me. You want to know Jesus, because outside of this is a lake of fire forever and ever. This is non-refundable. This is non-negotiable. This is nothing you can do. If you end up here, this is what you have chosen and not God. Because God has called all men to repentance that none should perish. But only those who have not hardened their hearts and believe in him are those who will make it in. To him that overcometh will not taste of of the lake of fire, which is the second death. Give it to the Lord and he will make you whole. So from here, that's the lesson for today. Sarah is going to present, and then uh, we will conclude. All right. Let's go to 2 Peter 3, verse 9. Amen to that, though. So God be the glory. All right. 2 Peter 3 and 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Yeah. I mean, this kind of goes just perfectly right. with what was oh, being yeah. said tonight. Because he doesn't, you're, I mean, it's true, he doesn't want anyone to go to the lake of fire, and he will suffer long with us. He doesn't want to send anyone to no. hell. God wants his children with him, and not being made a fool of by the devil. Exactly. Verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also, and the works that are therein, shall be burned up. Uh, Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of person ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? So he's saying here is, is that... If the heavens and the earth are going to pass away, and I'm telling you that these things are going to come to pass, how are we supposed to be while we are here? Mm-hmm. Okay? Exactly. Verse 12, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God. So we're supposed to be constantly looking for that day to happen. Mm-hmm. Wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. 
Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for the new heavens and the new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace, without spot, and blameless. So this goes right along with it, because if we have Jesus Christ in us, we're not going to have any blame with us. Nope. You know, we're not going to we're, we're to want to sin. All that's going to be wanting to be taken away. Why? Because we're looking for the day of the Lord. It's the huge. acceptable day of the Lord. But this also goes along with that we're not promised another day on this earth. No. So whether we're looking for the day of, you know, when he comes back, or we're looking like, hey, this could be my last day on earth, how are we living our life in that day? That's right. Verse 15. And account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom uh, given unto him, hath written unto you, and as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which some things are hard to be understood, which they that are un unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also other scriptures unto their own discretion. Destruction. Destruction. Yeah. So this even happens today when we don't have the Holy Ghost in us and we don't understand the scripture. Or you got those lying pastors in the pulpit that want to just preach love and, you know, uh, just saying, oh, love one another and they don't talk about sin. Well, they're taking the word that is written and they're twisting it around oh, yeah. for their own, you know, for their own selves mm -hmm. so they can line their pockets with our money. Exactly. Verse 18, Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also, being led away with the air of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. So if we don't have the Lord grown in us and, and he's not rooted in us, we can be taken away with that. That's right. Verse 18, But grow in grace. And in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior in Jesus Christ, to Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Amen. All right, from here let's go to Second Corinthians four fifteen. All right, for all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might, through the thanksgiving of many rebound or abound to the glory of God. For which cause ye faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. What is that? That's the spirit. That's the spirit that's within us that's renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us as a far more exceeding and eternal weight in glory. You know, Paul and... 1 Corinthians 11, or 2 Corinthians 11, talked about his light of collection. Mm -hmm. But he was also letting us know what it means that if we stand for Jesus Christ in these last days, we're going to be afflicted for it. Right. You know, Peter talks about that too. We are going to be afflicted for it. But he says it's just, it's just for a moment. But it works to our salvation. That's right. 18. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So again, you know, in, in your spare time, read Colossians 1, 21 through 25. But we got to come out of this here and now and what's going on in my life now. Because if we don't, if we don't come out of our carnal senses, then we're not going to see 
uh, we're not going to see what the Lord has for us. But it's, it's got to be, and it truly is salvation. And it truly is, is that if we know Christ in our hearts and we truly believe his word, then we're going to go out and we're going to tell other people about it. Because he is the truth. He is the only way. Mm-hmm. And if, But if we don't believe that, if that really does not dwell within us, we won't tell anybody anything. Exactly. So that's all I have. Yeah, that's awesome. I guess from here we can pray out. Um, you know, I'm telling you guys this in love. If I didn't love anyone, I would let you die in your sins. Mm-hmm. And it's not like I can redeem sin. I mean, I can redeem anyone. But I'm telling you who the Redeemer is, that you may know Him. That's right. Okay, so if I didn't love you guys, I wouldn't talk about this. Amen. I'd rather have that than honey language, letting you think the whole time you're going to, you know, to be with the Lord, and you're damned. Exactly. I'd rather tell you the truth. All right, so Sarah's going to pray out. Heavenly Father, I want to come to you tonight in Jesus' name. Yes, Lord. I want to thank you for another day that you've given to us, Lord. Yes, Lord. Another day, Lord, where we can proclaim the gospel, we can proclaim your truth, Lord, to all those that are going to hell. Lord, I want to thank you for the opportunities that you have given us over the past several weeks to go out, Lord Jesus Christ, and to talk to people about you. It is not it is not our job to convince people, Lord. It is our job to go out there and give them the truth, Lord, to plant the seed. That they may hear, Lord, we don't know how many times people have heard the gospel. It could be their first time, 25th time, 1,000th time. You didn't make that known to us. You just told us to go out and tell people about you, Lord Jesus Christ, because you are the only way. And, Lord, we are living in the last days. We are living in a generation that seeks for a sign, Lord, because the deception is growing greater. It's growing younger, Lord, and it is on a mass scale. And you have taken the blinders off of our eyes, Lord, and we can see this matrix, Satan's matrix, for what it really is, Lord. And you're telling us to go out so the blinders may be off of other people's eyes. But, Lord, if you do not indwell in us, Lord, if we have not been sanctified by you in our thoughts, in our will, in our emotion, Lord, in our hearts, if we have not been made whole in you, Lord Jesus Christ, then we won't tell anybody. And that's where the blood is on our hands. So today, Lord Jesus Christ, in the name of Jesus, anything, if any of us are on the list, Lord, of going to the lake of fire, Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that we repent today in the name of Jesus, that we give it to you, that we can be made over again in the name of Jesus, that we put on the new man and we get give away, Lord, get away. Burn off the old man in us, Lord Jesus Christ, that we will serve you. Your word says, He that loses his life for my name's sake shall find it, but that he that findeth it will lose it. Lord Jesus, we have to lose our life for you. That is what you command us to do, because we believe you, Lord Jesus Christ. And it's not a hard thing, Lord Jesus Christ. You died on the cross for us. You willingly gave up your life for a world that hates you. Lord, because you love us in truth. You love us, Lord, and you want us to come to know you because the enemy, Lord, your enemy, Satan, the devil, hates you. And he hates anyone that reminds him of you. And that's why abortion is on a widespread, Lord. That's why all these laws are coming out today about genocide and homicide, Lord. He wants to kill off your people, but there is a remnant. Oh, thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, for that remnant that your word talks about. And I'm praying, Lord, that we be accountable to be a part of that remnant. 
that we be accountable, Lord, worthy of your cross, worthy, Lord, to take up our own cross, the tree of life. You are the tree of life, Lord Jesus Christ. And if we eat off of your fruit, Lord, we will want to go out and bear fruit. Yes, Lord. So, Lord, I'm praying that we do that. Whatever things that are in our life that are greater than you, let us lay them at the foot of the cross and that we follow you, Lord Jesus Christ. Let us give up the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Let us give them up to be made over in you, Lord, to have that true joy and peace that, that overcomes the world. We are more than conquerors, but only in you, Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, for all that you've done for us. I pray, Lord, let all men of thought and conversation glorify the name of Jesus, the name above all names, that we will sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, that we will look to you, Lord Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. Guide us, Lord, direct us and lead us into your truths and all truths. Let us take on the full armor of God and keep it on, because that is our defense against the enemy. Give us a double portion of your Holy Ghost power, because we are going to need it in these last days. I'm praying, Lord, that we will live a life of fasting and prayer and a life that is acceptable unto you, that we will be married to you, Lord Jesus Christ, to be in the marriage supper on that last day. In Jesus Christ, your most holy name, I pray. Amen. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.